Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we're reviewing this weekend's Road to Power Struggle shows, previewing Power Struggle, answering your questions, and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prosentees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. Visit NJPWEXT.US today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm uh, <laughs> doing as well as can be hoped for in the middle of a global pandemic and, uh, you know, um, election night eve. <laughs> uh, although I, I put that shit in a long time ago. Yeah, I had my, my ballot in the mail, yeah, weeks, weeks ago, ahead. Nah, I didn't mail that shit because you don't know. They, they, they'll be messing with it when it's in the in the postal service. You don't know if it's going to get there. I, I hand that shit off. I put it in the box. I'm, I'm, I tracked it on their little, their little gimmick because they got it. So it was, you know. Oh, they say yours is getting counted? Yeah. All right. 
unless it wants to trick the work in me. They, they might be. Listen, politics is a work. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. The other seriously though, the other day I was uh, with some family friends and um, uh, one side hardcore staunch, you know, right wing Republican like supporters. And then the other side, hardcore, you know, left wing liberal, blah, blah, blah. And they're all fighting. And I was like, guys, you need to understand something right here, right now. Because the pro- the problem was neither side was willing to concede any points to the other. And I'm a realist. Like if I see bullshit, I'm going to call it out. I don't really care. <laughs> I don't care. Like, because I don't think any of these people are good people right. at all. <laughs> and I was like, the, the the problem is, I was like, all the people that you think are good, like, and all the people that you think are good, they're all bad. I was like, they're all workers. They're all working, you guys. <laughs> I was like, this is pro wrestling. <laughs> Literally. I was like, the whole shit. I was like, everything. I was like, there's a Vince McMahon somewhere up there who's pre-orchestrating all this shit <laughs> booking he's booking the territory <laughs> you guys are the marks <laughs> and i was like you're getting roped in uh, uh they didn't like to hear that because you know what there's nothing more disconcerting than like facing the reality of the world that people don't want to actually like face you know that maybe like your side's not right and maybe that that shit's not on the up and up maybe it is all the work <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> people don't like to hear that that's that 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 like they all looked at me and they were all like kind of upset because they're like oh this guy but the smart <laughs> I'm, I'm, bro, I'm, I'm the smart mark bro I, i've been smartened up long time ago i, been, I, I think the business I, been exposed to you yeah the business got exposed i felt like i saw him santa claus wasn't real or something <laughs> oh man they didn't like it and and the funny thing is with this whole election, you know, regardless what happens, um, you know, we're not going to know the results for a long time, and it's never really been that way. And this shit's going to be wild, <laughs> <laughs> bro. Did I tell you about the those Trump people? No, what Trump people? Oh shit, bro. So <laughs> <laughs> I was out. Do you know fifty four? Like yeah. the the road fifty four, State Road fifty four, and no. like Wesley Chapel. It, it goes through Wesley. It's like this long ass highway. It's kind of like 19. But yeah. It goes the opposite way. So the other weekend, um, me and my girlfriend, we were driving down 54 and like it's a Saturday and it shouldn't be busy at all. But there was just crazy traffic. And then suddenly we saw why there was like, I kid you not, like seven or eight miles of Trump supporters on like in their giant ass trucks and their their fucking jeeps with like a million flags and it was just like a parade and I was like the fuck is this bro <laughs> like what are you doing like all they were literally like let's say I wasn't decided as a voter there's no way that them all going in a single file line taking up the entire lane and literally causing serious delays and also coming off as like hyper like i don't, don't want to say intimidating because they weren't threatening but it felt like very like aggressive, a gang. like a gang bro <laughs> like a trump support gang and i was like bro nothing about this if i like if i'm just like like you know undecided voter and i'm walking down the road or driving and i see this these people i'm like oh shit i better vote for trump <laughs> like, the hell yeah i guess that's the strategy man I guess, bro. I don't know. (laughs) 
Enough about politics. Let's uh, no, we're, we're gonna talk about politics, <laughs> politics of pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the, the politics of New Japan pro wrestling here. Um, before we get into uh, Road to Power Struggle on the first and the second, we got to talk about the wrestler of the month and match of the month for October. It is uh, match recording November 2nd. Yeah, bro, there's pol- mad politics involved with this one. What are you talking about? <laughs> Actually, there is. The people I voted for didn't get into <laughs> office. I feel underrepresented. Uh, so uh, let's start with the wrestler of the month. So the wrestler of the month for October, literally right before we record, it finally came down to it. The Golden Star, the G1 Climax 30 winner, Kota Ibushi. Yeah. Um, this was def. I mean, we're not in August, but this is essentially your de facto August Wrestler of the Month, which is one of the most important Wrestler of the Month awards that you see all year long. Uh, it just happened to happen in October instead. <laughs> right. And I guess it will probably next year. Uh, who knows? Maybe maybe this is the new tradition going forward. I don't know. Could be, yeah. But, um, you know, initially, right off the bat, we were like, it's going to be Tomohiro Ishii. I mean, MVP of the block. MVP of the G1, you know, he killed it in October. And then we started looking around and like there was quite a few people. I mean, here's a here's someone to throw out there, Tai Chi with like five bangers in the month and then Shingo with like four and you know, his match trending as like the match of the month. So, it was tough and then when we started looking at Ishii and then we started kind of comparing him against Ibushi, we're like, well, you know, Ishii had a great month, but if you look at his matches from October, while they're great, they didn't trend, I think, quite as high as the September uh, matches that got him in. Um, and then you kind of look at Ibushi, and I think Ibushi was, uh, obviously with the fact that he won the G1, there's the kayfabe aspect. Uh, his win record was better in the month, but then there's also the fact that like his best matches of the tournament probably, um, the majority of them all happened in this month too. And so he kind of just... I mean, it's one A one B situation. Right. Like he's probably one A, Ishii's probably one B, but like it was, it was close, man. Yeah, tight, tight, tight race. But yeah, we gave it to the Golden Star, and then for the bro, if you if you win the G one, you don't win Wrestler of the Month. Something's probably wrong. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then for Match of the Month, we went with Kazuchika Okada versus Shingo Takagi. Work. <laughs> and I, I know you were not as high on this match as the consensus happened to be But this was one of these matches that across the board A lot of people were really, really loved You know, 4.75, 5 stars being thrown at this thing um, Yeah, a lot of people just really dug it Personally, I was 4.75 on it I, I really loved the matchup, the story I thought it was probably one of the best Okada matches in the whole G1 And... Yeah, I think it was the best match this month. Jeremy, as you know, I'm a man with great ratings, takes, and opinions. <laughs> and uh, to me, you know, match ratings isn't a game. Um, you, t- you take your ratings very seriously. Take them very seriously. But here's the here's the thing. I'll admit, to, if, if I feel very, very, very strongly about something, like, for instance, the G1 final, I feel very confident that was a great match. Um... With some of these other matches at the end of the tournament that people loved that I wasn't as high on, like Ishii and Jay White, 
and also Okada Shingo. I got to chalk it up to probably just G1 fatigue. Literally, I'm not saying I'm wrong, but I don't know if I would feel the same way on a reviewing. I'm not ready to do that yet. Cause we <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, the whole entire general population of viewers can't all be wrong, and these matches were universally praised. And I was tired, man. <laughs> um, so, you know, I pretty much, with this one, you know, you look at the ratings. This one has universal love across the board, so I'm not going to be that stick in the mud that says, no, I'm right. All you people are wrong. But it's not. It's not. That's not how it works here. But uh, yeah, man. O- Okada Shingo. Yep. So that is the keeping the strong style October match of the month. Maybe I'll go rewatch it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of excursion matches to get through. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Award season. We're working on our keeping it strong style awards. Dude, one show away from the voting period being. Locked down. That's right. Power struggle will be the the ending of the voting period for this year, and sometime after that, we will get the the ballots out for you guys to vote. This will be our what fourth annual awards, and you guys are a big part of that. We'll get the ballots out. You guys get that's that's some more politics right there. Get your vote in. Get your vote in. Go out and rock the vote. <laughs> Smack down your vote <laughs> in the keeping the strong style um, year and awards when that comes out. Yeah, Fred Rosser's going to be dusting off his uh, old gimmick. He's going to make <laughs> New Japan great again. Oh, man. Listen, but that's that's the deal there. Like, that, the, the, that's the last show, that Power Struggle show. So, like, if the next week, you know, Fred Rosser goes out there and has a banger with, uh, I don't know, the DKC, it, it, that's next year shit. That's not going on this stuff. So right. that, that and, is the you know if Jordan Clearwater comes out there and just him puts and Jordan up, Regal, yeah, him and one of the Regal twins just put on a, you know a five star classic. That, yeah, that's that's next year. Listen, they need to bring Russ Taylor back. I don't know. He Stop. actually he's on uh, next week's show. Oh, <laughs> fuck yeah! <laughs> Stop playing with me. <laughs> I love Russ Taylor. That's like the the one. Re- Listen, if nothing else that was good came out of New Japan of America. Russ Taylor getting exposed. Getting exposed. That's the good thing that came out of this shit. Um, oh, before we move on, uh, yo, you see, what's his face? Um, spoiler alert, your boy um, Jonathan Gresham won the pure title. That's right, the octopus, Jonathan Gresham. Rich Latta, you hate to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I... From day one, I was like, it's, it has to be Gresham. I mean, I felt the whole tournament was kind of designed for him. And he's a guy, he's the best, you know, guy that wrestles that, that pure style in Ring of Honor. So it made a total sense. And so, yeah, I think he's going to do great things with the title. Nah, Hassas got robbed. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would love for them to do, like, a pure title match, maybe, like, in Japan at some point when things, you know, change. That would be really cool. Maybe he can come bring that shit over to a... Uh, Strong. It's a strong fight in the little warehouse. Well, hey, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Dopey warehouse. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, let's talk about now Road to Power Struggle. Road to Power Struggle. So we had the first show from this weekend on Sunday, November 1st. Kicked off. We had Yuya Yamura defeating Yota Suji. And I think we're just going to kind of run through the results here if there's any big angles, not really kind of go through the, the blow by blow here. So we had Yurimoro defeating Yotosuji. 
Then we had a um, chaos matchup here against Suzuki Goon with Goto, Yano, and Yoshihashi defeating Doki, Taichi, and Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, uh, before we move seven. on, Goto, Yano, and Yoshihashi. Um, oh, I messed up. You know what? I was thinking. I was I was thinking it was Ishii, and I was like Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi, showing why they're one of the best tag teams <laughs> in the world right now. <laughs> Never mind. Um. And then obviously that was to kind of set up the the preview, the tag team title match that would be coming the next day with Goto and Yoshihashi challenging against Tai Chi and Zack Sabre Jr. Right. Then we had the great Okan and Will Ospreay defeating Gabriel Kidd and Kazuchika Okada, 12 minutes and 28 seconds. Uh, I had a question here from Kevin from D.C. He says, great Okan isn't getting much love from pundits since returning to NJPW last month. Part of this has to do with his stilted, awkward offense, which has a far cry from his promising work as Tomioka Oka. Do you think that Great Okan has instructions from the upper brass to deliberately wrestle the way he does, or do you think he's taking the lead at this new style of wrestling? Who's ever to blame? It's not working for me. Also, on a related note, why does the company still think it's a good idea for Osprey to come out to elevate it? It's a the babyface babyface music to every babyface, and it doesn't work for him, and especially doesn't work for two of them together. Be personally still pretty hot though, so the group has that working for them. Um, don't objectify B. She'll <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, man. Um, here's the deal: like, I don't care if Osprey is a babyface or a heel or a tweener or what have you. When Elevated comes on, it's time to rise the fuck up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it has nothing to do with character. It's t- it's time to let you know that. You know, the mood's about to change. There's a shift. <laughs> Taz is coming out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But um, here's a couple things I will say, okay? I I want to be fair as possible when it comes to Great Ocon. And I've been one of those quote-unquote pundits that has been critical. A few of the things that I think are working for me. Um, I actually like the screaming that he does during the matches. Um just kind of gives him like a different sort of like, I don't know, feel <laughs> uh, to what he, you know, to his offense. Um, also, his deliver his delivery of a lot of different moves is different and more sort of like wild looking. Like he does like the, the one leg drop kick and things like that. And so some of it, I'm not saying I love it, his work just yet, but I think that there's a little upside in the fact that he's working different from a lot of the rest of the roster, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think a lot of the focus here, like you said, to be fair, a lot of the focus in these multi-mans, I think, are to kind of get over that key offense, some of the bigger moves he's going to be doing. So they're getting over the scream, the Mongolian chop. He's been doing like a, a stalling reverse suplex, um, getting over his finisher, oh, the eliminator. He did one He did one stalling reverse suplex in this match in particular that was like, I mean, bro, it was straight as an arrow. It looked incredible. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, I think that a lot of it is just they're trying to establish the character. Um, you know, those of us who dreamed of him being like Oka, he's not going to be Oka. Like, this is what he is. Uh, do I think there's room for improvement and a, a shift? I absolutely do. I don't like the uh, Jiangshi gimmick. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. I I liked the way he came into the company uh, on the first night, that look, that attitude, it, it felt different from what we're getting here. Um, but I think that it's a little, I mean, this match with Okada is going to tell us a lot. 
Right, and that's, that's going to be the real test. I mean, obviously in a tag match, you, you know, you, you can see some stuff, but obviously they're trying to get him over. They're trying to get the Empire over. You know, you got them. He's, he's pinning the Young Lions, destroying the Young Lions here. And so I think, yeah, that match, Power Struggle for Kyle, that's going to be the real test. How, how can he go in a singles match? What is, what's the pace like? What's the work like? How's the crowd going to react to him through these through a big match for Gal Okada? Here's another thing too: is like um, it isn't an important match, and it'll probably be very important to this long term story that they're telling between Okada and presumably Chaos and the Empire going forward. But it's not make or break by any means. Uh, think about some of the other you know young lions, like say for instance Jay White. I mean. He had a year of <laughs> yeah. make or break matches before he like found his footing completely, you know. Um Okada himself, when he first came back, you know, when you if you go back and watch that Wrestle Kingdom match with him and Yoshihashi, he doesn't look like a world beater or a future champion or anything of the, the sort. So uh that's just a couple examples of like, you know, someone comes in and maybe they don't have it all figured out, but it's gonna, you know, hopefully come together and this has been this is somebody Oka who has been like a pet project since the day he came in has had the backing of the top brass uh, to answer your question as far as like where is the work the offense you know the the gimmick coming from I I really couldn't tell you um, I would be I would be shocked if it wasn't a combination of himself and management whoever is in charge of this sort of thing i mean i don't really know who you know we don't know enough about the ongoings to tell you who gives them the gimmicks or anything like that but i would be shocked if they were completely hands-off and it was all him right and it does this doesn't seem to be the kind of place that creatively stifles their workers in the sense of them being like this is who you are and him being like i don't want to (laughs) like i don't think it's like that i'm pretty sure based on what we've heard based on what we know that this is a partnership this is the for now vision that they see for the character. Yeah. And has been since his excursion. Right. I'm sure that like, kind of like in a way bullet points, like, all right, here's kind of what we want you to hit, but you kind of fill in between the lines and kind of make it your own. I think like you mentioned, it's definitely that kind of blending that combo of kind of getting the best of what the booker wants and what the wrestler wants at the same time. Right. Um, yeah, and I think we're going to talk more about uh, about I was going to say elevated about <laughs> the empire as we kind of go along. But uh, I kind of yeah. hope that answers the question. Yeah, and the one thing I'll say about the elevated music, on one hand, I do get what people are like. Yeah, it, it sounds you know it's too babyfacey, but at the same time, it's so obnoxiously babyface that it kind of works for Osprey because he's so up obnox, obnoxious now and like it's such a prick heel, and you know he thinks he's you know. What he's doing is right, and so he thinks he should be elevated. So in a way, it kind of works. I'll tell you the truth. I've never been a mark for the song the way y'all have been. You, you guys love the elevated <laughs> theme song. <laughs> um, but, I, I mean, I don't see how... If, if he's a great worker, then he can make it a heel thing. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it, it's a theme song. Yeah. You know, it's a theme song. That's That's pretty much it. So uh, moving on to the next matchup, Josh, we had the return of the crown jewel, Chase Owens, to the motherland in Japan. Chase Owens joins his Bullet Club brothers, Jay White and Kenta, to defeat Golden Ace and Hunma, 13 minutes, 20 seconds. Chase Owens getting the pin here for the team. 
I guess the reports of what happened over in the States don't matter over in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He beat Hama, right? Yeah, package pile driver on Hanma. Then we go to the semi-main event of the evening. LIJ team of Sonata and Naito defeat the Bullet Club team of Evil and Yujiro Takahashi by disqualification. Bro, if I'm Evil... And every night on the tour, I'm fighting Sonata and Naito. I'm going to, like, and my tag team partner is Yujiro. I'm going to rethink things. <laughs> fighting the double champion and the B-block winner. And, like, you, you got the guy that went, like, eight and, you know, one and eight in the entire G1. Like, bro, get a different partner, bro. Yeah, you know, maybe you should play nice with Jay White. And, you know. Bro, I bet Dick Togo would do better in these matches than Yujiro would. I mean, possibly. No, not possibly. <laughs> I would wager money on it. And you know what season it is. No, Betting put- season? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we we do not have the, uh, <laughs> the uh, what is it, the uh, bookie or what is it? My bookie. My bookie. My sports bookie. I don't know. It's not, not yet. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so, yeah, Dick Togo jumps on the apron here, uh, climbs in the ring, Chokes out Naito with the garrote wire. Red shoes calls for the DQ. Oh, what a shock! <laughs> yeah, actually, that disgusted me. I was I was angry that I spent eleven minutes to see that DQ. Like, I and, and you know why they did it because there's no pin eater on the Lij side, so they have to do something, you know. And they're not going to have either of those two guys' job in this situation, so they they went for a DQ. Like, I get it, but like. Do something else, man. Yeah. It, it, yeah, whatever. I, I, was, I hate that. <laughs> so that takes us to the main event of the evening. We had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles on the line as the champions, El Esperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, defeat the LIJ team of Bushi and Hiromu Takahashi. Bushi and Hiromu fail yet again to win the junior tag titles. What do you think about this matchup? Huh. So this is a good match. Um, at 28 minutes and 26 seconds, I think it might have been a little bit long. But um, I think that we're in a situation where you're damned if you do it, damned if you don't. And what I mean by that is I was bound to complain about this no matter what happened. Because um, as we've discussed before, there's little to no junior tag teams in the division, especially considering... Uh, with COVID and everything and the lockdowns and just there's a dearth of talent. So these are kind of like the only two real tag teams they even have in the division. So like on the one hand, we've complained in the past been like, yo, they don't really utilize these guys enough. You know, this title, they need to give them opportunities, give them time, you know? Right. (laughs) And um, on the other hand, we're like, well, we've already seen this tag team twice in a tournament you know, back-to-back, not even that long ago, and the matches were a little underwhelming. And not only that, but, like, it feels like prior to um, Hiromu getting injured, we were seeing this matchup pretty regularly back then, too. So, I mean, it's like if you took all the time between the time he was injured and, like, bookmarked them, this is almost a quasi-continuation of of the feud that was already ongoing from prior. So um, we've seen this matchup a lot. So, yeah, like I said, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. On the one hand, 
They need to use utilize the title. They need to do something. They don't have the teams to do it, so this is what they have to do. But on the other hand, we're going to complain because we've seen this match so many times, and there's no way really around it one way or the other. So I guess I have to cut them a little bit of slack because they're in a tough situation, but it doesn't mean I have to enjoy it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll be honest, I really didn't, like, I, I wasn't stoked for this match. I thought it was good. I just I didn't think it was great, and it was hard for me to, I don't know, sink my teeth into it, especially considering how great the uh, six-man tag, you know, um, main event had been prior on the same tour. Yeah, you think with, you know, four juniors here, Desperado, Kanamaru, Hiromu, and Bushi, you think it'd be a little bit more fast-paced, but the actual the never six-man title match from the first Road to show was more fast pace and had a better you know pace and style than this match did. Well, taking into consideration when you have six people, um, that's a lot more downtime, a lot more rest, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, more options and things you can do. When it's a straight two on two tag team, it's going to be a much more exhaustive and taxing affair. Yeah. Well, with that being said, I did like this match. I thought it was um, a pretty good matchup here. And, I don't know, I was kind of just, that kind of question, like, is Hiromu and Bushi finally going to win these tag team titles and what's going to happen here? And so, towards the end, I was definitely kind of biting on the near falls there. Um, there was the um, Canadian Destroyer from Bushi, which was really cool. Yeah, that was a great spot. I And you know what? The match was good when you compare it to the other two tournament matches that they had earlier this year. Um, I would prefer this match. But my, the one reason why I wouldn't want to rewatch it is it was 28 minutes and 26 seconds long. I felt like they went a little past the peak. That was too much time for this uh, matchup. Um, and you know what? We probably saw the same thing earlier today with the main event as well. So it's kind of like a reoccurring theme. But um. I I don't know if you took, I don't know, let's say eight to 10 minutes off of this. I I feel like it's a much more compact, tight, concise, entertaining matchup. Yeah. And, you know, for me, like once I saw it come down to like Bushi and Desperado, it's two guys. I'm like, Uh, it's a giveaway. Yeah. My man, Bushi in this pen. (laughs) Well, 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 keep in mind, Bushi's. Always, like, down for, like, a, a little bit of an upset. Remember, like, yeah. he pinned Zack Sabre earlier this year. Right. But I just felt like there, there's so much focus here on, like, Desperado and Hiromu that if anybody was going to get pinned, it would have been Kanamaru if LIJ was going to win. And so once it was, like, pretty much that last stretch of Bushi and Desperado. Or, or if Desperado was going to lose, it would be Hiromu beating him. Right, yeah. And so, yeah, once it was Bushi and Desperado, I was like, all right, I have a feeling what's happening here. They telegraphed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so towards the end here, Bushi goes for the MX. Desperado threw red shoes in Bushi's way, took a bump, uh, hits the right hand. Everyone's down. Desperado goes for a belt shot, but then Marty Asami comes out, grabs the belt away from him. Uh, Desperado has a stretch muffler in. Hiromu breaks it up. Uh, Hiromu and Bushi hit the um, the LAT double T move there, which I thought that when, when they hit that, I was like, oh, maybe they're getting it there. Bro, I've been trying to figure out what LAT even is. I keep seeing it on the back of Hiromu's uh, trunks, and I'm like, what is LAT? Like, and I keep forgetting it's the name. Of, it's their finisher. Yeah, but I don't know what. Why, why is it LAT? Why is it L- D? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why is it D? Like, we don't know. Um, and then from there, uh, Bushi goes for the MX again. Desperado caught him off a top rope, and uh, 
hits, ends up hitting him with the uh, pinche loco to get the pin here. Yeah. And then they cut, you know, a scathing promo that I didn't understand, but, uh, you know, seemed like uh, Desperado's fire on the mic. Because <laughs> <laughs> spitting flames for the Corkin crowd. They gave him the, the 1996 WrestleMania, like, get the fuck out of my ring. <laughs> this is my moment. <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, let's uh let's move on to today's show, Road to Power Struggle, November second. Uh, we open up the show, Gabe Kid defeating Yoda Suji, seven minutes and forty four seconds. Yeah, so real quick there, Yoda Suji, two losses back to back. This man won the C block. Well, he also lost on the last right. power struggle. So three, three yeah, three losses back to back. Televised losses. Right. Coming off of the, the C block win. Yeah, Gabe Kid and uh you more were like, come off those wins. <laughs> uh, you want the smoke? Like, bro, that's what they're doing. Um, after that, the Empire, Great Okan, and Will Ospreay with B Priestley defeated Okada and Yuya Yumura. Uh, I believe there's some shenanigans after the match. Yeah, we know we had, um, once again, the Great Okan um, putting down Okada with the Eliminator, Ospreay. You know, just jaw jacking of Okada and saying, you know, the people are tired of you. They don't want you. They don't need you. Everybody needs to, you know, be ready for the great Okan. Says so something about Okan being like a brother to him. Yeah, so it's a, this man's a brother to me. Bro, you guys never interacted ever <laughs> in either company until now. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> you know, you know RDC World, right? Yeah. Yeah, they did this video where it's like people be making friends oh, too fast in the bro, anime. I saw it. I saw it. <laughs> Oh my god! The two guys, the, yeah, the two guys sit down on a bench, and he's like, they're just meeting, and then he's like, "You want to go get a drink?" He's like, "All right," and then like they see an an anime enemy, like the bad guy, yeah, and he's about to kill one of the characters, and his buddy who he just met like stands in front of him and takes the blow. He's like, "Why would you do he's that, like, bro? What are you doing? Why are you doing that?" He's like, "You're the best friend I've ever had." He's like. I just met you. Bro, I just met you. <laughs> He's like, tell my mom. He's like, your mom. I don't know your mom. And, and, and my daughter. Your do- Wait, wait, you got kids? You got kids? <laughs> <laughs> and then while they were walking on a bridge, this other kid like walked up. He's like, what's up, man? He's like, what's up? And then the fucking enemy is about to attack him again. And then that kid like stands in the way. He takes the blow. He's like... Who are you? You he's, were always so nice to me. Yeah, he's like, you were always so kind to me. <laughs> I just said hi to you a few minutes ago. No, he's like, who Who are you? He's like, remember back then? And then it does a flashback. He's like, what's up, bro? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, bro, that's just funny. Um, yeah, that's exactly what's going on with Osprey and Okan. Like, they, I don't know. Like, they did one training session together, like, years ago in the no-gauge, you know, dojo and that's about it yeah now one, one one time like osprey was like can you give me some water mate and he brought him some water and then he was like later he's like when, when, <laughs> that's that's how he got into the kingdom years later was like that time that he gave him water like i don't know bro you're always there for me you're always there for me you're like a brother to me bro i don't know you i just gave you some water man chill oh man anyway so um where are we <laughs> oh yeah, so uh, after that we had uh, six-man tag action Bushi, Hiromu, and Shingo Defeating the Suzuki-Goon team Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, and Yoshinabu Kanemaru The big story here obviously is 
uh, everyone gearing up for the rematch between Shingo and Suzuki. Yeah, so, you know, your typical kind of Shingo-Suzuki stuff here. We had, you know, the the kind of interaction with them in the match, the kind of the post-match brawl. Uh, so, yeah, really looking forward to that matchup. Fourth match of the night, Chase Owens. Jay White and Kenta continue their winning ways against the Golden Ace team of Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi, along with uh, GBH's Tomoaki Honma. Um, did you see Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi, and Hanma all cosplay as the Ace? I did. You know, normally that you have that like that Halloween episode that's on this tour. That this episode was not aired though, but yeah, I did see episode or well, you know what I mean, <laughs> show. Rochi show, whatever. Um, yeah, that that was an untelevised, that was a live event, house show, whatever you want to call it. Bro, I'm going to tell the promoters, I'm going to be like, yo, you think you can get me booked on this episode? And I'm going to be like, <laughs> episode? <laughs> um, yo, speaking, uh, you know, we're not there. Yeah, we are there. Um, have you seen the, the new jackets that, like, Jay White is rocking? Yes, those King Switch, the bomber jackets, whatever you'll call them. Bro, I don't even like the name King Switch, but those fucking bomber jackets are, are hard. hard as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not even, like, a merch geek, and I kind of want one of those jackets. Like, it's pretty dope. Yeah, him and Gator came rolling out there with those jackets. Speaking of... Speaking of which, I know this man's a heel, but did you see how much money he raised for Black Lives Matter? Yeah. Real one. Man, slow slow burn. Real one. On the face turn. <laughs> <laughs> Long-term storytelling. <laughs> next, next thing you know, you know, ACH going to join the Bullet Club, Leo Rush. Bullet Club <laughs> is for everyone. <laughs> In all rainbow. <laughs> uh, anyways, so... Um, yeah, and obviously um, we're still building to the feuds between Jay White and Ibushi and Kenta and Tanahashi, the two contract matches. Um, I think Kenta's freaking um, briefcase briefcase is done, right? Yeah, so after this match, you know, White and Kenta laid out both Ibushi and Tanahashi. Kenta cracked um, Tanahashi once again with the briefcase. That thing was like in shambles and into 7,000 pieces pretty much. Um, I hope he keeps carrying it around <laughs> like uh, 2016 Naito with the IC title. Like, yeah. Eventually, just he's walking around with the red handle, and that's what they're fighting for. <laughs> um, and Kota Ibushi finally got a briefcase. I think it's his old briefcase back. It looks smaller. It looks almost like a, a lunchbox more than a Am briefcase. I, well, we've seen companies go from briefcases to lunchboxes, so that wouldn't be the first time. That's true. But yeah, so the, the contract is finally in something. He has his golden star uh, designed briefcase. Bro, listen, would you, when you go back to the office, would you carry a golden star 2020 G1 winning briefcase to carry your luncheon? You no, know, I might. <laughs> <laughs> I think they could market the fuck out of those. Like. They, they could. <laughs> buy, buy you some Abushi underwear. Get you an Ibushi briefcase. Bro, the only underwear I I strictly wear Tomohiro Ishii <laughs> underwear now. I I had some really I had some nice underwear. I tossed that shit out. I, I only wear smash gear from now on. <laughs> oh man. It's it's stone pitbulls or nothing. <laughs> um after that we had uh the team of Sonata and Tetsuya Naito defeat the bull club team of Evil and Yujiro Takahashi. Evil did not heed my warning and uh was clear they were clearly outmatched here. Yeah, I mean just another 
you know, same old, same old. This, I mean, these matches are not exciting. I'm not excited about this matchup. Bro, um, I don't give a fuck about Naito and Evil at all. Yeah. Like, it's going to be weird come award season because it's like, this is the most dominating story of the entire year, but it's also had the worst matches surrounding any major feud probably in a decade. And, like... It's going to be weird when we have to, like, talk about rivalry of the year because it's like, do we got to put it in there? <laughs> I know. Jeez. Like, we kind of have to because we don't want to be uncredible, but also, like, putting it in there kind of makes us uncredible because it's the matches are so fucking bad. And the story's not all that great anyway. I don't know, man. I know, because, you know, LJ fans, they will, they'll get a hold of ballot. And <laughs> <laughs> they might swing some things in ways we don't want them to go. <laughs> Listen, there's no such thing as voter fraud. Stop stop spreading all that propaganda about the voter fraud, okay? <laughs> Let this shit play out the way it plays out, okay? <laughs> yeah, we, we have very fair voting here. You know, we, we ca- everybody's vote counts in the Keeping a Strong Style Year in awards. You know, regardless of whether what Josh and I think, whoever wins, wins at the end of the day. Bro, at the end of the day, no, at the real end of the day, if we ever want to override that shit, I reserve the <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, uh, and then that takes us to our main event, the IWGP Tag Team Titles, uh, as the Dangerous Techers, Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr., defeat the Chaos Team of Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi, 34 minutes and 50 seconds. Now, before we continue, I just need to let you all know, I could sit here and give you guys the brother, brother. I didn't watch this show. Mm. <laughs> so we're giving you guys the rundown. If you notice, Jeremy's filling in all the blanks because I I kind of only <laughs> kind of know what happened. I It's been a busy day, man. I've been tired. I don't know. But uh, Jeremy, um, I'm hearing good things about this match. Give us the rundown. Yeah, so I thought this was a, a great main event here. It went 34 minutes. I did think it went a little bit too long. I feel like, you know, you shave maybe, you know, five, ten minutes off of there. You had a little bit of tighter matchup. I feel like it's just one of those cases where they went a little bit past the peak of the matchup here. Uh, but overall, still, still a very great main event here with these two teams. And uh, once again, Yoshihashi, to me, was kind of a uh, standout here, just... Just the emotion he's showing, the way he fires up. Uh, I popped Hughes for a spot where, um, you know, Taichi goes to hit him with the axe boomba, and he just kind of fires up a uh, strong style. Um, that was awesome. And, yeah, some great back and forth here. Um, you know, Saber working over uh, the arm and leg of Taichi, kind of work the submission game here. Uh, and so, obviously, Yoshihashi was kind of the, the focus of, of their main attack, because obviously the the main story here is he's the weak link. <laughs> and, and that's what they think. He's the weak link. And he's the, the main one that's been challenging and kind of the standout in that, that six-man tag. So, yeah, so real kind of great back and forth here, especially coming down to the closing stretch. A lot of great um, counters and reversals, a lot of great uh, near falls. Uh, we did get um, a great near fall with the the black Zack driver, uh, which uh, eventually got broken up from. And then eventually it all came down to the closing sequence where uh, Yoshihashi... And Taichi, the last two in the ring, and he hits a lariat, gets a near fall. Um, Taichi blocks the karma. Saber's able to uh, get in the ring, and they hit the Zack Mephisto. One, two, three. Taichi gets the win here, and they defeat Yoshiashi and Goto. And unfortunately, Yoshiashi cannot, uh, you know, get double straps here. 
Bro, if if I don't need it, like I I I don't need to see anyone wearing two belts anymore. For, <laughs> like twenty twenty is like exhausted that idea in my mind. So uh, I'm fine with that. Um, this is definitely a match I plan to watch. Um, sounds like you're giving it a pretty good recommendation. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm somewhere between four stars, four and a quarter. Where would you have gone on say the previous night's main event? The junior tag title match, I'm yeah. probably like three and a half on that. Maybe 3.75, more more three and a half range. Okay. So it's definitely one I'm going to check out. Um, Yeah. Um, You've got a lot. I mean, Dangerous Techers, what can, one of the best tag teams of the year. Um, Goto Yoshihashi, two-thirds of one of the best tag teams of the year. Um, Yeah. Sounds like a really good story. Uh what were your feelings going forward uh, for these teams coming out of this? Did you feel like this was a definitive, you know, end to this tale? Was there any kind of clue or indication for what's happening next for them? Or, you know, what what did you think post-match? Well, so uh, post-match, actually, there was a, a big angle. So uh, Toriano was out on commentary for this, well, for the whole show. But then after the match, he kind of jumped in the ring and uh, he took off all the corner pads and essentially cut a promo saying, you know, he wants a no corner pads matchup for the, the KOPW uh, that's coming up for Pro Wrestling um, Power Struggle. And you know, Sabre accepted. And it was kind of like a post-match brawl between Sabre and Yano and kind of setting up that match, which led to eventually Sabre and Taichi getting to cut their uh, closing show promo. But as far as like the future of the tag division, um, what's kind of coming up next in, as far as the tag wise, I'm not sure if they're going to go back to Dangerous Tickers Chaos. Also, we got World Tag League coming up. I, I was, yeah, I think that's the clear thing is Tag League is next. Right. I was, I was expecting Dangerous Tickers to retain these guys to go in to Tag League as the champions here. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, what, that's what's next. These guys are going to probably be pretty dominant in the Tag League and are going to end up going into Wrestle Kingdom as a champions and probably defending against whoever ends up winning the tag league. As far as uh, Goto and Yoshihashi, I'm assuming maybe they end up being one of the teams that fills out the field for the World Tag League, in which then you could get a potential rematch uh, with those guys. It's probably going to be um, single block. Because uh, we said on the show, we also had the announcements of Best Super Junior, Super J Cup. We'll talk about those um, in a second. But, yeah, so we're probably getting a single block for the Tag League as well. And so you could have Goto and Yoshihashi in in the Tag League and they face off um, once again and a chance for, for revenge for Yoshihashi and Goto. In the past, it hasn't happened too often recently, but in the, you know, years bygone past, very often the dominant tag team champions could actually sweep one of those Tag Leagues, which has been an impressive thing. Hasn't happened in a while. Um, I would love to see Dangerous Techers win one of these World Tag Leagues. I don't know what kind of implications that would have for, say, the two nights at Wrestle Kingdom, but I don't know how long this tag team is going to continue on. Um, with both of them having, you know, singles career ass, you know, parations, um, I don't know if we're going to keep seeing them, but it would be a shame if they didn't win one of these tournaments because they've been like the MVP tag team the last two tag leagues. Right. And it, it could be a situation like where, where they sweep them. And like you, we've talked about with the good brothers, they're, they're a team we feel shouldn't really be in a tag league. should make kind of a big debut. Maybe you have techers kind of sweep the field. And then a team like good brothers kind of comes in. It's like, 
we, we want to no. face you. Uh, Carl Anderson, he's uh, canceled, bro. You didn't hear? Uh, yeah, I've seen <laughs> some things with Mr. Anderson. <laughs> he's canceled, bro. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I definitely want to check this out. We had a question from Kevin from D.C. He asked, even though their match went ridiculously long, I thoroughly enjoyed the tag title match between Goto, Yoshihashi, and the Dangerous Techers. If you had said to me two years ago that the two wrestlers with the most fluid and sharp chemistry as a tag team would be Taichi and ZSJ, I would not have believed you. Do you do you, any additional tag, tag teams stand out right now before the World Tag League uh, announcements as likely challengers to Taichi and Saber? Of course, it's pretty much a lock that they enter the Dome as champions. I'm just curious to see if you could pick two wrestlers right now and go, they could be strong ch- challengers if they had the match tomorrow. Well, I mean, the, the team of Goto and Ishii that we've, you know... God, we've always wanted that. We've been wanting and clamoring for that. For whatever <laughs> reason, that never seems to be the team that kind of gets matched up for these tag leagues and these tag situations. But a, a Dangerous Tickers Goto Ishii tag match, that would be fire. One of my favorite tag team matches of this entire year, and it's like kind of the forgotten classic, but what was from New Year's Dash. It was uh, Shingo and Evil against Goto and uh, Ishii. And it was just strong style heaven, just fucking incredible. So, like, yes, I would love to see. It. I don't know. I don't. I doubt we're gonna get it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like good mat, like good teams that they could pair up. I just, I don't know what to expect from the tag league, honestly, at all. Right. And I know we we talk, kind of talked about Sonata and how it, it would kind of be, you know, a step down to kind of be in the tag title picture again after making it to the finals of G1. But I really like the team of Shingo and Sonata. And I like to see those guys get a little tag run. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah. I mean, and like you mentioned, uh, those good brothers are always waiting out there. Yeah. Probably going to bring back uh, G.O.D. You know, G.O.D.'s never won one of these tag leagues either. Right. I mean, this could be their year, not as champions. Yeah, they're not the champions. They haven't really done much uh, since the COVID lockdown. I I wouldn't be surprised. Haven't done much, man. They've been, you know, running... um, just ramp it on strong. Nobody watches that, Jeremy. What do you mean? <laughs> Are you trying to tell me that all over 100,000 people subscribed to NJPW World are not tuning in 10 p.m. on Friday night to watch NJPW Strong? Is that what you're trying to tell me right now? They are if they're nerds. It's Friday <laughs> night. Go out and do something. Oh, that shit can wait till tomorrow. <laughs> let's, uh, let's. Talk about this Power Struggle preview. Yeah, so we'll do our preview and predictions for this Saturday's upcoming Power Struggle event. So let's start off here with the opening match. Listen, before you start, I just want everyone to know, this opening match is not for the lineal provisional King of Pro (laughs) Wrestling title, okay? I don't care what they tell you. When Kazushko Kata... (laughs) Why are you laughing? I'm, I'm giving an impassioned speech. When Kazushiko Okada laid out his dream and birthed the idea of this KOPW trophy, he was very implicit that this needed to be a title where two competitors presented two different stipulation options and the fans would vote on it. Suddenly, this company thinks it's okay to take away the right to vote from their fans. Mm. That shit don't fly. This is 
If this was America, Jack, I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly, suddenly, Toriano gets to decide what what happens because he's champion. That's not how shit works, okay? And we're going to find out tomorrow. <laughs> well, I, I think part of the problem, I think because Sabre accepted. He, maybe Sabre didn't want to come up with his own stipulation. See, that's the problem. You can't just accept, you know, the, the way things turn out. You know, like tomorrow when... When you find out the person you vote for didn't win, don't accept that shit, you know? You got to fight for your right here in America. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real, um, I'm like, I well, when is this show? Next week? So Saturday? This is upcoming Saturday, November 7th. They got time to let people vote. They do. I, I, but, yeah, it's, I mean, on their website, no corner pads match. Toriano defends the lineal provisional KOPW against Zach. Saber Jr. Yet again, another match that is basically just a regular ass match. Isn't that what I said? <laughs> I said from day one, people are like, "Yeah, they're gonna do cages, they're gonna do ladders, they're gonna do." I'm like, "No, it's going to be alterations of a regular match." I thought it was gonna be a monsters ball match. <laughs> uh, Ravens uh, clockwork or House of Orange? What was it? The Ravens clockwork. Clockwork Orange House of Fun match. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ravens rules. Yeah. The Bowery. The Bowery of Death match. Oh my God. Um, You know what they should have done? Yano says he wants a no corners pads match. Zack Saber says the opposite. I want a nothing but corner pads match. So then they just tie up corner pads literally around the entire mm. ropes and they're legal to use. That would that's what I would have done. You, you know what they I think they they totally missed a boat here with this KOPW. We know that twenty twenty bro, bro is, we know that. <laughs> hold, hold, hold up. Twenty twenty <laughs> is the year of the cinematic match. Oh my god. Well, you got KOPW. Why aren't these dudes you know we just had Halloween pass. We could have had a uh, House of Horrors KOPW match. Bro, what what uh, never mind. I'll ask you off I heard there was something about zombies that Halloween Havoc or something. Oh yeah, shit. it was uh, the House of Horrors of uh, Cameron Grimes versus uh, Dexter Loomis. I don't really, I didn't listen to it enough. Like I was listening to a podcast. I, I've been behind on my podcast, so I was behind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> behind. Um, I was trying to catch up, and I heard someone talking about. They said something like, "All zombies are legal in this match." Is that like an announcement they made or something? Uh, I don't remember the announcement, but essentially, you know, they were fighting in a haunted house. There was a scene where why was there. What zombies? Cameron were Grimes was running away from Dexter Loomis. He got, he's in the bathroom with somebody in the shower. He thinks it's Dexter Loomis. His sister ends up being this crazy zombie girl that tries to attack him. Uh, it, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, some wild stuff going down on in, in, uh, NXT. Bro, I can't wait for KOPW to be just done. Dude, for, they're getting rid of the voting. That's the first thing of it going away. It's it's slowly just going to fade away. Yeah, and it is going to fade away. Yeah. In fact, you know what? It might not even like quote unquote fade away. Here's how you'll here's how you'll know for sure that it's never coming back when Yano just keeps carrying the trophy, right? Like and into the next year, and just keeps carrying it, but they don't ever like recognize it or do anything. Any with defenses it. or anything? No defenses. He's just carrying the fucking trophy <laughs> until like someone breaks it and then it's gone. Gone. Yep. That's the deal. It'll fade away and classify itself as obsolete. <laughs> obsolete. <laughs> Wonderful. 
Oh, my God. So, no corner pads match. Toriano um, and Zach Sabre Jr. This is a weird match for the quote-unquote best technical wrestler in the entire world to get himself locked into. But um, Well, we've seen with Sabre, he typically kind of finds in situations he's not the best in. You know, he tries to outstrike people. Um, now he's trying to out-Yano-Yano. Yano. Like, I, I don't know what's going on here with Sabre. I don't know. I, I feel like we're doing... Everyone listening a disservice by trying to like actually <laughs> <laughs> analyze this shit. Um, I will say this: I like uh, uh, ZSJ is probably one of my favorite Yano opponents uh, because he can, you know, kind of play the straight man but go lean into the goofiness. It's it's, it's good shit, so I like it. Uh, we got a question from Kevin from DC again. Uh, maybe we should just go into it. He says, uh, "Well, it's official. The KOPW he skipped over uh, Muzzle's question." Oh, he don't matter. <laughs> uh, Muzza asked, <laughs> Zack Sabre Jr. saying he is going to throw the KOPW trophy in the trash if he wins it. How much does the young boy want CSJ to win it now? That's that's something that could happen? Yeah. I, I haven't been listening to the post-match. I did not know that this was something he was threatening. Yeah, I'm team ZSJ right now. <laughs> remember, remember Zacky three belts? Yeah. It's going to be Zacky no trophies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm all about this. Fuck yeah. That means he's probably going to lose. Yeah, I mean, I think Yano, I'll just do my prediction right now. I think Yano's winning. Okay, like that 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 clinched it for me. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yano's beating Zack Sabre. He's going to tell him, go back to the tag division where you belong. Right. Geek. Get ready for your, your geeky little world tag league. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kevin from DC. Well, it's official. The KOPW 2020 trophy has been returned to its once promising glory. This week at Power Struggle, Toriano will defend the prestigious trophy against Zaki One Belt in a no turn pads match. I expect this to be brutal, hard hitting, relentless action from both warriors. It will truly serve as a mouth watering kickoff match for Power Struggle. So, what do we call Zach when he wins? I just. I. Bro. Ahead. <laughs> Zacky, no trophies. <laughs> Zacky, two titles, two titles, one Zach. <laughs> Bro, do you get that? Two titles, one Zach? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, <laughs> England's last great beacon of hope. Nah, bro. Zacky no trophies because no he's gonna fucking he's gonna tell that trophy to get the fuck out of here. F O H the first the first the beginning of F O H here at Power Struggle. Yeah, people want to talk about November being the start of uh, Christmas season, the holiday season. <laughs> it's F O H season B. <laughs> oh man, we need an ugly Christmas sweater that says F O H season B. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, that freaking popped me. All right, so um, the next match of the night is the Never Openweight Championship as Minoru Suzuki defends against Shingo Takagi. I'm still laughing. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I don't know. But yeah, so uh, Suzuki and Shingo, this has been a great feud, uh, one of the top feuds of this year. Would you wear that? You couldn't wear that. Out in public, it says FOH. All right, I'd wear it while we're recording FOH. Right, but like you can't go to a holiday party being like, <laughs> "Fuck out of here, bait." <laughs> you got you gotta, you know, company holiday party. You can't go to that shit. Your family wants to do like a a white Christmas or what's it like white, white elephant. elephant? Can't wear that shit. You can't walk. You can't like. 
you know. Go Christmas shopping in it. Yeah, you know, it's, you got to get the uh, freaking gift wrap, and you, you're running out of time, so you know you got to go to the dollar store to get that right, shit. yeah. Can't walk into Dollar General wearing that, like, it's aggressive. <laughs> oh, man, so yeah, so Suzuki, Shingo, one of the top feuds here in New Japan. These guys have been battling over this never title. We had Suzuki defeating Shingo at uh, Jingu, and we had um, Shingo getting some revenge in the G1. These guys have been brawling all over the place in multi-man tags and all the bills for their match, including this one. Third matchup here this year. Um, Where's Power Struggle taking place? I believe it's taking place in Osaka. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, the first match, Jingu, the second match, uh, Sumo Hall, I mean, that's... Two matches back to back in really big venues, and then this is one of the, you know, third big shows of the year that this match take place on. Um, yeah, but it's in, in Osaka. So it's Osaka Joe Hall, Osaka Perfectual Gym. Okay, the Eddie and Eddie and Eddie Arena. Arena. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to it, man. I love when these two guys, you know, get in the ring, do their thing. I thought the Jingu match was better, uh, just in general, but I mean. You're talking about two wrestler of the year candidates and probably both of their um, biggest feud of the year for each individual um, best series of matches with any common opponent between the two of them. So I'm really, really looking forward to this one. If they give it the time, which I don't know that they we've only got six matches on this card, so I'm sure they'll get a decent amount of time. I just right. But I don't know what I'm thinking here. I think Shingo's getting the belt back. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing Suzuki beating him again. It's like, where does Shingo go from here if he loses again? Unless maybe unless he's going to be in tag league. I mean, it does. It, they'll probably both be in tag league. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll see. I I wish we knew the blocks going into this show that we're recording right now. We don't, but um, I, I'm I'm gonna say Shingo gets his belt back. Uh, that's my. That's my hope and wish. Yes, I, I'm, I'm going with Shingo also. That's what I want. Um, you know, I love Suzuki, but, yeah, it's time for Shingo to get this belt back and get some uh, some more great matches from Shingo defending its people, maybe some defending its more juniors like he was doing um, earlier um, in the summer. So My one thing is I was sort of thinking they might hold off on this match uh, for, like, the hat trick until, say, Wrestle Kingdom. It felt like that might be the case. Yeah. And whatever way they, they lean – they kind of need to establish something for Wrestle Kingdom for this belt. And there's not a lot of time to do it. So I think that um, there, I'm not saying for sure, but there's a good chance that regardless of who wins, we get some sort of angle to set up the next program for this particular belt. Yeah, you have somebody either come out, jump the winner, uh, challenge the winner, something that leads into the next program. Something has to happen because I mean, I mean, you could maybe set up a title challenger at during World Tag League, but uh, doesn't sound like the the best way to set up a hot angle, hot program, right? And if, if Shingo, whoever, if the champions in Tag League can get pinned, and then that person can be like, "Oh, I pinned you during Tag League." That's kind of why I mean that, but for for Tokyo Dome, that's not a great way to set up the match. You know what I mean? Right. You, you kind of want some heat going into that match because it's one of the 
you know, major singles belts, especially since they have the two titles locked up. And we don't even know if we're getting the red belt back in time for for this. So uh, that's why I kind of thought they were going to hold off on this, to be honest with you. Um, so I mean, do you think that they could do another match? If, if Shingo wins, does Suzuki have a right to say, I want one more shot? Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I don't know that they do that. Uh, it feels like they, they're... They burned out the match at that point, you know. Right. But uh, could they do that? They could. I mean, I I wouldn't do it. That's why I kind of feel like we're ripe for some sort of angle, some sort of setup after the match is over. Yeah, that, yeah, I think you're spot on there. Um, who are you taking? You're taking Shingo as well. Yep. All right. So the third match of the night, uh, the Rainmaker Kazushiko Kata taking on. The Great Okan, the Dominator. Yep. Yeah, so obviously we've seen Great Okan come in, make his big de- big debut, attacking Okada, aligning himself with Will Osprey, becoming a part of the Empire. Osprey and Okan have you know been cleaning house of Okada and Young Lions on this road to power struggle, and they've done a great job of you know building up Okan, giving him his wins, making him look a monster. Like we mentioned earlier, it's going to be the first real test and. I, I don't know where to go here. Well, something we need to kind of address, you know, we, we, we started to talk about Okan and Will briefly, you know, and I feel like although we, we always do great coverage here on this show, I don't think we've really quite spoken um, <coughs> in depth enough about, like, the fact that this, uh this, like, team and this faction and their formation is a super huge deal in New Japan right now. Um, It's been years since we've seen a new faction formed. I think the last one was LIJ, probably like 2015. You're talking half a decade. And um, these are two guys that they're going with in a major, major way. Um, Neither of them are, I mean, Okan is the second right now to you know, Osprey's top you know, star in the group. Um, that being said, it's tough to imagine what may or may not happen here because on the one hand, you've got Ocon coming in. They're touting the fact that he's been undefeated all this time, giving him all these wins in these matches. And sitting in front of him is pretty much, you know, the ace and top star of the company in Okada. I don't know that he beats Okada clean if he wins, but I could totally see him go, winning. Right. I mean, you can have various you can have Osprey and B running in, causing distractions that sets up Okada to get the win. On the other hand, um, you got to get a loss out of the way at some point so that someone in this team can at least eat a pinfall every now and again when it's necessary. This might be the right time to establish that because who better to do it than Okada? Right. I mean, who has more credibility than him? Um, so that's another way you could kind of go. My concern, and this is something I, I'm not really keen on. I, I'm I'm fine with them having a new faction. I'm fine with them doing new and exciting things, bringing people back from excursion, turning people. That's all well and good. But... My concern is we've already got the Bullet Club and all their cheating and shit, and it just it 
it's only in recent times that Suzuki Goon has kind of gotten away from that, which they used to be, you know, very, you know, prominently doing that. And it seems like Bullet Club's going to split. And, like, we might end up having, what, four heel factions? Is the Empire going to be more of that? Like, just more Western-style bullshit, lots of people interfering, a lot of people, you know... Ref bumps, chair, you know, all what what's going on? Well, it does kind of seem that just what we've seen so far, there is going to be a lot of interference and shenanigans. I, I'm I'm not down for that. I, I wish they would kind of go in a different direction with it, but it seems like that's the way they're going to go. And you know, with Okan, if he's going to get that big win over Okada, like you said, I definitely think there's going to be some shenanigans afoot with Osprey and be interfering. Or, you know, they could go the route of Okada winning. And like we said earlier, like, what happens here is not make or break Great Okan. This is the first big singles match of many that will be to come. We saw probably the most kind of recent comparison would be Switchblade, Jay White, you know, debut with the promo videos to this big match at the Tokyo Dome with Tanahashi. Match was not all that. What are you talking about? You're forgetting Watto. <laughs> <laughs> yes, how could I forget the the way to the Grandmaster? Big come in, big match with Doki. Um, but yeah, but with you know JY the Tanahashi match um, didn't go off so well, and but eventually it was able to turn things. <clears throat> excuse me, it was able to turn things around. <sighs> yeah. So this match is going to be interesting. There, there's a possibility given. Um, Okada's quote-unquote story that he's been telling, you know, all throughout the G1. If he kind of continues more of that, (laughs) (laughs) and then we get some of the Okan bullshit, and then sprinkle in some of the Empire, you know, shenanigans, this might not be, this is not one right now. Yeah, I'm intrigued by the story, and I'm intrigued by the characters, but it kind of has the recipe for being a shit match, Right, book. it has the, the, the recipe to be a match about moments. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what to think here. I mean, on the uh, another thing to kind of point out with Okada, it's like um, we're not too far off from Wrestle Kingdom. Presumably, they're probably doing something with him in Osprey. So part of me kind of feels like he needs a win, you know, um, to get him ready. But if he were to lose, it's I doubt again that it's going to be any sort of supremely clean loss. Right. Uh, Osprey helps Okan win. He still wants revenge on Osprey for turning on him and then costing the match against Okan. That that could build to the match. And that might be the smart story is to keep Okada chasing, keep Okada losing, and give him a sense of, um, you know, an out because he's got the, the benefit of doubt, the fact that these guys are cheating the whole time. Um I just don't know if I'm in love with that idea that, like, we're going to keep getting bad Okada matches. Uh, Here's what I will say. If the match is good, I'm okay with some semblance of cheating because bad guys cheat. It's the overabundance of cheating in the matches. Right, and just the ridiculousness of the ref bumps and the ref allowing so much to just go fly by him. Yeah, if, if we weren't getting so much of it with the evil shtick all year, I don't know that I'd be so apt to be down on this but the fact that we've had that just purvey all throughout new japan um 
I don't know. It's got me a little cautious here. Um, this one's going to be interesting. I'm going to go against my better judgment. I think the safe bet is Okada. I'm going to go with the risky bet, and I'm going Okan. Okay. Uh, well, then I'll, I'll go safe bet here, and I'll, I'll take Okada. All right. Here. So that takes us to the next matchup here. We have Kenta defending his right to challenge for the IWGP United States heavyweight title. Against the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi This is a big match um, And it's not only a big match But it has big implications Considering who the current IWGP US champion is Uh, It's actually funny Because the title itself is Almost meaningless at this point (laughs) Uh, We haven't seen that shit in forever Uh, It wasn't the most prestigious title Prior to its disappearance I mean it's disappeared many times In the past uh, So it's just kind of like It is what it is But the fact that it's sitting on John Moxley Creates a much more interesting proposition Because at some point presumably Whoever wins this match Might be fighting John Moxley And I don't know that this will be the case. They haven't announced it, but there is the implication that it might be a Mox versus Kenta or Mox versus Tanahashi Tokyo Dome match. Um, The other option, I guess, is at the Tokyo Dome, whoever wins this match will keep defending their red briefcase. I don't know. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I know. We know Moxley said that they're they're working on things, and I'm sure they're they're trying to figure out the time. They're trying to get him to Japan, and... Honestly, December uh, could be a good time with, you know, normally with Dynamite kind of taking off for Christmas and with the current taping schedule of them kind of taping, um, you know, two I'm looking up AEW pay-per-views. We got what? Full Gear? Full Gear is also this weekend, same day as Power Struggle. And then the next pay-per-view would be uh, January of Revolution. Okay. So Revolution's not happening until after the Tokyo Dome. Right. And last year, that was in... That last year it was February 29th. You're saying that this year it's January for sure? Oh, I thought it was I thought it was in January. Last year it was February. Okay. So, because my thinking is they're having a what? A tournament for the title, right? It's pretty much probably going to be Hangman and Kenny. That's the finals at full gear. So, if presumably Kenny Omega wins, which he probably will, we're going to get him and Mox. My assumption is Mox would likely come off the title in AEW before he drops this red belt. Right. But that is a pay-per-view match. They're not going to do that on Dynamite, I don't think, right? No, that would would have to be a pay-per-view match. So if he did, you know, all scheduling stuff aside, just from the political side, if he were to come over as the red belt champion um, in early January, he'd still be the AEW world champ. So there's that to consider. (laughs) Right. A lot of uh, implications going into this matchup here. You know, and I don't know. There's some people, too, who are, like, not really that um, concerned with the fact that he's held the title for so long. But this is a company that's traditionally been such sticklers for their title defense rules. Right. You know? Um, I know it's, I mean, it's dopey pro wrestling. um, So, I mean... You know, you, you kind of have to do what you want to do, and I get it. But I'm also kind of like, how long are they going to let this dude <laughs> <laughs> run with the title? Run with this belt. <laughs> like, 
But anyways, um, which which plays into a question that we got from uh, Grunty Dodds. He says, "Do you think we are likely to see a U.S. title defense in 2021?" Grunty Dodds, my vote is yes. I, I think we we will too. I think they're going to find a way to get him to the dome. You notice how I keep uh, saying the word vote? <laughs> it's because it's it's like that WWE storytelling. I'm telling a story, <laughs> hitting you over the head with it, brother. But uh, also, I would like to be recognized as the tribal chief of this podcast and this dojo as well. So you trying to make me your slave? Nah, bro. <laughs> I never said that. <laughs> I said tribal chief, not not slave owner. That's a different thing. I don't know. Jay used to looking like a slave right now to me. <laughs> oh man, um, you know what? Off subject. That I saw that match and. Um, I didn't like the match, but I liked when um, Jay and Jimmy Uso's dad came out and hugged the man that just beat the fuck out of his sons. (laughs) 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 Anyways, so Kenta and Tanahashi, big match, big match feels. Um, They've done it two other times here in New Japan, most recently in the G1. Um, Both times they've wrestled, I've thought the matches were really good and... You know, this one has stakes attached to it. The other two didn't. Um, yeah. I, I like what I've been seeing in the multi-man stuff from these two guys as well. Yeah. But a lot of great build here. And I'm going to say, I'm going to go with the risky bet here. You're I'm going Kenta? No, I'm going Tanahashi winning the briefcase from Kenta. But I feel like that's the popular bet. It, it might be. I think a lot of people want that. But I think... With briefcases never exchanging hands before, I think it might be safer to say Kenta is going to retain. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. It's just I think because a lot of people are hedging their bets, assuming that we're getting a Tokyo Dome match, they sort of count Kenta out and see him as being the transition. Like to set that matchup, we needed to get someone. F- you know, from America over here to drop the opportunity off to Tanahashi. <laughs> so yeah. essentially he's like, you know, Stanley Stasiak, basically. Mm. You know, he's Ivan Koloff dropping that shit off for Pedro Morales. <laughs> um, but, you know, I do think that a lot of fans have the wrong perception of Kenta, you know. I think people have this idea that he's like some sort of mid-carter, maybe upper mid-carter, not realizing that they're probably paying this dude a fuck ton of money. He finished like near the top of his G1 block, which is always a a key indicator where they see the guy. He doesn't do very many jobs like at all. He's pretty dominant on strong. Super, super dominant. And, um... Um, I think there's a good chance he could... Absolutely beat Tanahashi, and I think that a Kenta match, as much as I think John Moxley would want to do business with Tanahashi, I can't imagine he wouldn't want to wrestle Kenta, being the, you know, pro nerd that he is, you know, especially from a bygone era of Noah, like where he was the man, right? So, yeah. so I think there's a good chance he actually could win this thing. And those guys were, were opposite blocks last year in G1, right? Who Mox and Kenta? Yes. So, yeah, so this would be a first-time, fresh matchup. I don't think they ever faced off in WWE, so... But Tanahashi and Mox would be fresh, fresh too. as well. So, either way, you have a fresh matchup, and like you mentioned, I think Mox would 
love to get in the ring with Kenta eventually too. So there's a lot of different ways you can go here. Um, but yeah, I'm going with Tanahashi. Now before before I make my choice, here's a couple things to kind of consider. We've got three main singles matches with pretty big title stakes, and three of those uh, competitors in those matches, top guys from Bullet Club. Um, you know, you got Jay White in the next match, and then uh, Evil in the main event. I'm pretty confident neither of us are expecting Evil <laughs> to win the title. Yeah. Um, part of me feels like if Kenta and Jay White and Evil all lose on the same night, doesn't that make Bull Club some kind of hose? Only that plays into the whole Bull Club is not fine storyline. Could, but is I mean is that is that the the way you want to like get people like tied in? Like we're a bunch of losers, <laughs> so we hate each other. We're a bunch of geeks. <laughs> I I've got a feeling that. I I think Kenta's got to retain. Yeah. That that's that's what I'm thinking right now. And I think there's a and we'll talk about it. There's a chance Jay White wins. There is to set up some kind of devil title match on one-on-one night kind of thing. Yeah. But um yeah, so let's talk about that next match. Kota Ibushi defending his Wrestle Kingdom title shot against Jay White. Yeah, so Again, another kind of heated rivalry here with these two guys that, you know, dates back to last year. She won uh, Climax Finals and spilled into Wrestle Kingdom during Double Gold Dash. I'll see Ibushi losing to Jay White on night two, Wrestle Kingdom 14. Um, And then kind of fast forwarding to the G1 here, we had um, Ibushi uh, defeated, or actually Jay defeated. Wait, did Ibushi defeat Jay in G1? Mixed up here in the G1 this year, Jay White beat Kota Abushi. Yeah, so that's why he's getting this. That's right. Yes, (laughs) yeah. So once again, Jay beats Abushi. So you know, Abushi's still looking for that revenge over Jay White, and plus Jay White, you know, claiming that you know Abushi really can't be G1 winner because he didn't beat him. And so this is pretty heated rivalry. We've seen a lot of stuff in the multi mans with all these guys going on, and I think these guys have great chemistry, and I think. This could be a great matchup. And like you mentioned, I think, you know, we haven't seen the Wrestle Kingdom briefcase change hands yet. And with there once again being two nights at the Dome, this could be the perfect year to do it. So you somehow set up Jay getting a title shot one night and Ibushi getting a title shot the next night. Yeah, I mean, no matter how it all ends up playing out, I think there's no doubt that Kota Ibushi is gonna be getting some sort of major dome match with Naito in some form or fashion. Whether that's directly tied to this quote unquote briefcase slash contract kind of remains to be seen. Um so I think what we're really looking at here is this is Jay White's opportunity to stay in contention or kind of be knocked out prior to dome season um at that point really. So there's there's different stories you could tell. I mean, one thing that everyone kind of needs to be on the key lookout here for is Kenta, Jay White, Evil. Again, all three involved in the top three matches of the night. There's tension between at least Evil and Jay White. I wouldn't be surprised if Kenta is somehow involved with those tensions and 
I think we're getting some sort of angle to some some extent between these three at some point. Probably, like, I'm guessing probably after the main event or during the main event, that makes the most sense to me. Right. Because especially you just mentioned, like, this is Jay's kind of last chance to get into contention before Dome season. I mean, after this, we got Super Juniors and Tag League and then Road to Tokyo Dome and then Wrestle Kingdom. So there's not much opportunity to set something up for Jay going down the future. Bro, my stomach just dropped. What if... What if what we're getting right now is evil? Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't you dare. Do not Do not put that out in the atmosphere, bro. Oh, come on, man. What if we're getting evil versus Jay White and not Abushi versus Naito like we're all thinking? Bro, why? Why would you say that? Like, I have control over the booking of New Japan Pro Wrestling. I know you'd be texting Gato. <laughs> Um, You're a worker now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I, I here's my whole thing. I like the story that Abushi has. He's on this redemption path. He hasn't got past Jay White recently. He needs to kind of put him behind him so that he can move forward in his path to the Tokyo Dome. It's a very straightforward story. It's a story they tell every year. It always plays out the way it is. You know, it's kind of just a pit stop to us getting to the Dome. Um, And I'm in favor of them doing that, and I I have no problem with it. But because of the fact that there are two nights at the Tokyo Dome, because they've never, like you mentioned, switched the briefcase, there's room for them to do it and still give Ibushi his moment. Right. I'm not necessarily saying that I'm a proponent of it, my opinion, I think Ibushi's going all the way this year. The guy's 38. They need this is his time. Like um I said this during the G1 um preview even though I was very far off on my estimations of whether of how far Ibushi would go in the G1 this year. I I thought he was going to like do worse than he'd done in <laughs> the past two years prior and he clearly won the whole shit. But the one thing I did say, I said if he wins it which he might, then it's his time, and they need to go with him. He needs to go all the way to the Dome. He needs to win the belts. They need to give him a lengthy run. And he's 38, and now is the time to actually do that. There's a story to be told there. The real question is the Jay White evil Bullet Club shit, and will that play into this? Is that going to play into the double gold night Wrestle Kingdom thing? And I think there's a, I think there's a high probability. I'm like... 60% certain that Ibushi is going to win, but that's like 60 to 40. I mean, right. those are not great odds. Let's think about it. If they, they're they not doing Jay evil at Wrestle Kingdom, then what does Jay White do? There's He's, he's not going to be in tag league. There's nothing to set up for him to have a, a big view, a big match at Wrestle Kingdom. He's going to have a big match at Wrestle Kingdom. What do you mean if they don't do Jay evil? I'm saying like, let's say Naito retains. Right. And... Jay gets the briefcase, then and they're not going to end up doing a Jay Evil match. You can still do it. There's two nights. I know. J- remember last year? Why the fuck was Naito in that double gold dash? Right. <laughs> he didn't need to be in that <laughs> shit. He dropped all his belts. He didn't win no G1, but he was just he was in because. Right. 
<laughs> I'm just saying, if, if for some reason they want to save this Jay Evil match for down the line, then there's no other real thing for Jay to do besides kind of being some kind of big title match. My, okay, I hear you. My thinking is they could still, he could win the briefcase and they still have him and Evil fight at Wrestle Kingdom because there's two days. Right. And I think that there's a possibility that this Bullet Club split little storyline is like a side branch off of the main event scene of Wrestle Kingdom involving Abushi and Naito. Uh, I think the fact that the top two main events in the the one big show prior to Wrestle Kingdom, because essentially this is the de facto lead up to it, because Super Juniors and Wrestle Kingdom is not going to do much for the main event scene. So, I mean, this is it. The fact that they're the top four guys in these two main, main and semi-main event tells me they're going to be playing a big, big role in the main event scene of the Dome. two nights of the Dome. Yeah. That's why I'm not certain that Abushi's just going to run through this the way he always does. Because, like, sure, the, the, the obvious thing at that point is, okay, Jay White lost. Now he can come. You know what? I mean, the obvious story is he lost. He doesn't have the title, so he can come out and cost Evil the belt. Right. And now they've got an easy story. I mean, what is there a possibility of Evil costing Jay the briefcase, and then he turns around and gets revenge, costs Evil the match? They could, but the thing about that is the matches are back-to-back. So, you know, it's kind of like he's not going to come out, get sweaty, interfere, and then go back and prep for his or match. Or he sends uh, Dick Togo to do it. He could do it, but then there wouldn't be – if they did it that way – it's, he's not getting the direct heat on himself like he should be. Yeah. I think it's more likely, either way, I could see Jay White. Inter- Jay White doesn't want Evil to be the champion in, in the Bullet Club. So I could see Jay White interfering w- with Evil. Or even if he doesn't interfere, I could see post-match there being something going down between them. I think there's for sure some sort of angle happening with this Bullet Club thing on the, on this night. But... um. I guess we've kind of analyzed it from all ends. I'm just going to say I think Ibushi is probably going to win, but I'm only like 60% certain. I'm taking him as as my pick, but I won't be surprised if Jay White wins. And if and if Jay White does win, it doesn't automatically mean that Ibushi is out because I think that they could be trying to play a similar redemptive story to the one that they told with Naito just last year. Right. So, yeah, I'm also going with uh, Bushi. Uh, yeah, my pick's going to be a Bushi. How confident are you on it? What are you thinking? I don't know, man. After talking through all those scenarios and two nights at the Dome, I'm, I'll, I'll go 50% that a Bushi's going to win. Okay. Um, and we have a question here from Highest Fly Flow. It says, are the upcoming briefcase defenses the most unpredictable unpredictable ones thus far? Jay versus Ibushi and Kenta versus Tanahashi, all four of them seem fitting for briefcase holders. A hundred percent. I think that that's exactly what we've been saying uh, during this review. So uh, that's very astute. And I wouldn't be surprised if any of the four people end up winning their matches. And that's great. That's a good thing because we don't often say that sort of thing, especially in these types of shows like you know, a destruction or a power struggle leading into the Tokyo Dome. I mean, they're usually pretty open and shut affairs. We know what's going to happen in here. It's a lot more unpredictable. Yeah. I will say this. I think one of the briefcases will change hands. But not both? Yeah. 
at least at least one. There will be one exchange of briefcase. Maybe maybe they do both, but at least one will change hands. And and I'm already predicting, and see you're you're predicting that n- at least one changes hands because of the unpredictability. I'm predicting that none change hands based off of my feelings about the Bullet Club needing to stay strong. Mm. But uh, I c- I could totally be wrong. I just feel like you. Know, I think they could both change. They could. Um, I just feel like with you know a lot of people are always you know when is a briefcase gonna change hands and it's one of those right. things that's kind of been always talked about and now you have two of them so you could do the briefcase exchange of one of them and and show fans like hey it could happen the briefcase can change hands. Um, I I'm just not a super fan of the idea of the baby face going into the dome looking like a chump. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it worked for Naito, but that's because Naito's whole year. So you're, you're talking about Abushi? Yeah, okay. yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of uh, Abushi winning his opportunity and then losing it, and then somehow getting back into it. And there's not a lot of time to kind of establish him getting back into it. They'd probably have to do it on the road to Tokyo Dome, right? Which is why I'm more leaning towards Tanahashi, the, the being the U.S. briefcase exchange with Tanahashi. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just not a big fan of that. I think it worked kind of okay with Naito last year, but I don't know that Abushi's beloved, but he's not beloved the way Naito is. I don't know if he gets the same kind of pass. Right. I feel like you said they need to just go all the way with him. He needs. That's to, how I'm feeling. He needs to win here, and he needs to win the dome. He needs to be leaving. Um, both nights of the dome as double champion. I mean, damn, the man signed a lifetime commitment to y'all. Like, right. come on, y'all know that man gonna be wrestling until a hundred. <laughs> get, get this run now. <laughs> All right. So the main event, um, God, uh, <laughs> the IWGP Heavyweight Champion and the IWGP Intercontinental Champion, the Double Gold Champ Tetsuya Naito. He is defending both titles against. Evil. Well, well, well. Here we go. Another evil Naito match. Not looking forward to this match at all. Uh, I've not been a fan of any of their matches. Um, the build of this has not been great with all the DQs and shenanigans that we've been seeing on the Road 2 shows. Um, it's pretty much going to be probably as much of the same with um, a lot of evil cheating, ref bumps, Dick Togo, Garot Wires. Chair shots. There'll probably be Bullet Club and Lij run-ins. Uh, it'll probably be forty-five minutes long. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not digging it. There was a time. There was a time, maybe three, four months ago, where you could have probably heard me go on a rant like this. Hey, I'm not a fan of this shit, but maybe they could have a good match. No, maybe if uh, they keep this to a minimum, keep that to a minimum, and they don't go too long, and you know maybe this will be the time where they tell the story that you know evil's gonna go out there and try blah blah. I'm not gonna say all that. <laughs> I'll just say this: I don't care about this match. Yeah, I feel about. I, I, I don't care. I feel like Jado. I don't care. Whatever. I don't care. I don't care about evil's run. I don't care about. I don't care about it, man. I just don't. Um, it is what it is. Uh, Naito's not fucking dropping these belts to evil again this year. <laughs> um, 
that's the one thing that out of every, I have, there's a lot of things we've been wrong about. A lot of things have been right about, but the one thing when, when this evil shit kicked off, the one thing I said is that man is not carrying no gold into the Tokyo dome. That shit's not happening. (laughs) So yeah, I think he's the perfect opponent to set up the Tokyo dome main event, you know, a no hoper. And this, and we get it every year. Someone who is um, credible. You always have a credible no-hoper going into this situation. Someone who maybe is a former champion. Someone who's a, a big threat. Someone like Ishii. Well, it was Ishii against Kenny that one year. But most of the time, you usually get someone that's pretty like, okay, they could in other in another month, you know, in, in another situation. Yeah, maybe they win. Maybe Sonata or something like that. But, uh, you know, Evil's not winning. Like, there's no way around it. He's not beating Naito. It's just not happening. So I take some solace in that. And because of that, like, I don't really care about the match. Yeah, I don't care about this match whatsoever. I didn't need to see it, what, uh, is this the fourth time this year? Yeah, fourth time. Yeah, bro, I'm sorry. Uh, the You know, the Jingo match... I thought was like an improvement, but then the G1 match just didn't really resonate with me at all. And I still had problems with the Jingu match and the initial match at Dominion sucked. Um, I think, I don't think any of their matches are like above three and a half, maybe lower. I mean, that's terrible. I mean, forget the whole rant we did earlier this year (laughs) about like, you know, worst IWGP you know, title matches like this is one of the worst IWGP title feuds ever. Uh, the the matches are just sorry. So I just expect more of the same. And and you know if if they if they do good and it's good, you know, great. Next week we'll come on here and praise it if they do good. But yeah, I'm going in with the bar extremely low, and maybe I could somewhat be surprised by the end of the show. It's time for Bullet Club to go. <laughs> <laughs> Got uh, some questions. Yeah, so Reddit user Dom Homie 101 says, What are the chances of seeing Jay White and Evil leaving Power Struggle in the winner circle? Less than 1%. I mean, yes, Jay could win, but there's no way Evil's winning as well. Yeah, I. I there, there's no way because here's the, here's the one reason why, and it's real simple. No booker in their right mind would have evil carry the straps into the dome, even with a 20%, even with a 20,000 capacity limit. They're not having him go into the dome as champion. And there's not enough time for him to have won these belts at this show and drop it again. So it's impossible. It's just not happening. Yeah. Naito's going all the way. Either that, or if Gato if Gato does this shit, I don't know, bro. There's <laughs> Man, a, man's keep, cook keeping a strong style. Might there's a lot of other, there's a lot of other good wrestling out there. We might want to cover some other shit. I don't know. Keep keeping the gate, <laughs> <laughs> keeping um, it Noah style. We had a question from Ricky of the Ricky and Clyde podcast. He said, "Which match are you both looking forward to at Power Struggle?" P.S. Looking forward to having you both on the show next week. Yep, we will be joining the Ricky and Clive wrestling show next week. So looking forward to being on the show with those guys. Oh, uh, also, um, 
the episode that I recorded with uh, the guys over at Grave Consequences uh, dropped this past week. So uh, that was us doing a review of Aztec Warfare, um, the first Aztec Warfare from Lucha Underground. So if you guys haven't heard that or got a chance to check it out, fun listen. I think it's like 25 minutes, maybe less. Give it a, give it a quick check out. It's a really good show. Yeah, check out Grave Consequences. But uh, the match that I'm most looking forward to, uh, for me, I think it's I think it's actually going to be Tanahashi and, Tanahashi and Kenta. That was going to be my answer. I mean, sure. I, I Shingo and Suzuki is very exciting for me. It always is. But it's something, um, I think with Kenta and Tanahashi, the implications of what it might mean. With uh, John Moxley, that's something that's uh, kind of enticing. So I think I kind of agree there. Plus, they're a little higher on the card, so I don't know. Yeah, um, and yeah, there's a lot, a lot of intrigue with that with the briefcase being on the line, and they just have great matches together. And like we kind of already know what the deal with Shingo Suzuki is, so I'm definitely looking forward to that match as well. But yeah, there's something some, something a little extra with this Kenta and Tanahashi matchup here. Well, that is gonna do it uh, for our preview of New Japan Ro- or <laughs> Rose. New Japan Power Struggle. We will be back next week with our review of New Japan Power Struggle. Um, we got some other things in the docket here. Yep. So real quick, uh, we had the Road to New Japan Showdown this past Friday on NJPW Strong. We had the reuniting of the Regal Twins, Logan and Sterling. They defeated Clark Connors and the DKC. We had Carl Fredericks defeating Blake Christian, and then we had the Bullet Club team of Kenta, Tamatonga, Tangaloa, and Hikaleo defeating David Finley, PJ Black, Alex Zane, and Mysterioso. Uh, next week, the Rose of New Japan Showdown will continue. You have Fred Rosser versus Jordan Clearwater, and uh, Jeff Cobb and Rocky Romero versus Russ Taylor and J.R. Kratos. Oh, J.R. Kratos is going to be on strong. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, that's NJPW Strong. And now to get to what I think a lot of people want to hear us talk about. And we mentioned on the Road to Power Struggle show on November 2nd, we had the announcements for Best of the Super Junior. We've been having questions for weeks now on block size, who we think is going to be in it. And so we have the lineup. So it is going to be a single block tournament with 10 competitors so we have Rizuke Taguchi, Master Wato, Sho, Robbie Eagles returning, Hiromu Takahashi, Bushi, El Esperado, Yoshinobu Kanamaru, Doki, and the current IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, the Bone Soldier, Taiji Ishimori. Yeah, we uh, had been speculating for a little bit here. We would kind of figured it was either going to be a single 10-man block or two six band blocks comprising 12 competitors just based off the math and everything. And, um, yeah, I mean, they did the best that they could with the juniors that they've had, that they have, and that they could get over in Robbie Eagles. I think the two biggest glaring omissions, uh, just to get it out of the way, no ELP, no really. I don't know what the deal is there. Right, and Claire will talk about what ELP will be doing uh, later on this year. But yeah, for whatever reason, they couldn't get any of the you know the North American guys over for this tournament. Um, yeah, 
Uh, we've been, you know, earlier this year we did the, uh, um, what was that series that we just called? The uh, Final Countdown? Yeah, the Final Countdown. And we, you know, did a countdown of all the best Super Juniors. And I can't remember any that were single block tournaments. To the best of my knowledge There might have been early I th- on I think there was a couple earlier on Okay there might have been some early ones But um, it's been a very long time Since we've had a, any single block tournaments For best super juniors It's going to be round robin So there's good and bad with that I mean the bad is Whatever final match you're getting It's going to be a rematch That you've already seen in the tournament um, And there's ways you can do that That are actually still Exciting um, one one of the big tropes back in the the old days of New Japan when they used to do single tournaments uh, You could sometimes always tell Not you know when I say you could always tell it's not like we were watching it anyways live <laughs> <laughs> But when you look at the history books Had you been watching it live or had you been following the tour live? You could kind of always tell what match might end up being the final because if you had two big stars that were both like favored and then they do like a three minute D double DQ or double count out or something like that. It's a big indicator that they're trying to protect the match for later and they would just like blow it. You know, they, they, they wouldn't want to blow it off by having a full on like actual match in the middle of that single block. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's something they used to do a lot, but um, what are you thinking here? I mean, this is kind of what I guess we would have figured pretty much the field would have looked like based on, you know, if they did have a 10-man block, I assume. Right. I mean, these are all the kind of names I expected. Great to see uh, Robbie Eagles back um, in the fold here. But, yeah, like you mentioned, I think they did the, the best they could with what they had. And for whatever reason, you know, they didn't want to try and bring in more people. Maybe just because they knew it was a single block and maybe they're waiting to bring in some of those other juniors for you know, dome season and maybe something at Russell Kingdom and afterwards. So, yeah, you know, can't complain too much. I mean, it's still a decent lineup, and we're, we're going to get some, some good matches out of this crew here. Yeah, it's going to be funny um, just when next year comes around because although we're going to have a 2019 – or I'm sorry, a 2020 as well as a 2021 Super Juniors, this is all going to fall during our voting season. So it's like – there's going to be so many junior matches to kind of like choose from next year. Um, but speaking of the field here, I mean, not to go super in-depth, but I think right out the gate, the names that probably resonate to me as potential high-earning point leaders, maybe even winners, you got to think Hiromu, you got to think Sho, you got to think Desperado. Those are, like, the three guys that were, like, here doing the work, doing all those, uh, you know, um, open weight matches and fighting in the heavyweight tournaments and everything like that. Uh, Ishimori, obviously, being the champion, kind of almost works against him to a certain degree. Like, he's going to do good in the tournament, but he's probably not going to win it, especially if this is going to establish his um, title challenger going into the Dome. But that's another interesting thing. This is like a month before the Tokyo Dome. So whoever ends up winning is already going to have fought him during Super Juniors just the previous month, you know. Right. And that's not always the case with Super Juniors when there's two blocks. That's right. You know. 
Yeah, so, normally you're getting a, a, a protected uh, title match there at um, the Best Super Junior Finals. Right. Um, and again, this kind of play into the whole uh, double you know, nights at the Tokyo Dome where you could have somebody who wins um, and loses to Ishimori during the tournament, but he wins the whole tournament in the face of Ishimori one night. And you could have somebody who pins Ishimori in the tournament, doesn't win, and feels he has a right to challenge Ishimori to set up another challenge. If they wanted to go that way, that's a possibility. Um, the other name that is an outside chance of winning or maybe even favored, Robbie Eagles. I would say, from from my money, the, the four guys to look out for as far as favorites, Desperado, Hiromu, Robbie Eagles, and Show. Um, not to say that there isn't a chance for whoever they might want to push, but those are, those are the guys that I'd be looking at pretty much. Yeah, and we will do a you know a full kind of preview and breakdown leading into this tournament and give our official predictions here. But we do have a lot of questions surrounding this tournament. Uh, first, I'm ready to use a Rambone Slam Pig. Is there anyone who you are surprised was not included in the Best of Super Junior field? Overall, I'm satisfied so satisfied with what we're getting, but I will admit that I wish Dragon Lee, Jonathan Gresham, and ACH were there, even though I understand why they could not be included. The only name, it starts and ends with Dragon Lee for me. I mean, you can throw ELP in there. Many of you know I'm not the biggest fan of El Fantasmo, but uh, he's a big star in the, in the, you know, in the group. But like Jeremy mentioned, ELP is going to be involved in something else coming up here that we're going to talk about, but no mention of really, like nothing. That's super concerning to me, especially with the reports of, you know, potential WWE interest in him and his brother. And, you know, the guy hasn't wrestled all year. I don't know if you've, uh, if anyone has taken a look at that, but uh, I keep track of the outside matches these guys have for excursion. And since Ring of Honor shut down, he hasn't wrestled in Mexico. He hasn't wrestled in Japan. Nothing. Like, he had his matches in, like, February and March with Ring of Honor, and that's it. Dunzo. Like, so... No one has seen this guy like all year, pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, and with those rumors with of WWE wanting him and Roosh, yeah, it's very interesting. And also, the COVID situation in Mexico is not great anyway, and right. so maybe that's probably a big thing. Like they couldn't risk bringing him over; didn't want to risk bringing him over. So that could be a thing there too. But I don't. Is he in Mexico? I don't even know where he is. Oh yeah, I don't know. I'm assuming that he's in Mexico. Um but, yeah, he could be in the U.S., but I feel like if he was in the U.S., they would at least use him on strong. Well, at least, yeah, that's true. That might actually be uh, a good indica- like a good answer for why and what's going on. I, I Yeah, so that makes sense. Um, next question from PSAN91. I mean, did you have anybody else? No, no. I mean, everybody else. Is, I mean, Jonathan Gresham, like Rainbow Sandpick said, that's, that's a guy I would have liked to have seen, but... Clearly, with Ring of Honor's current kind of taping schedule and the pure tournament and stuff like that, like like we mentioned last week, we're like if you win the pure title, he's probably not going to be in the tournament. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. PSAN ninety one asked. He said, "Why do you think we got Best Super Junior announcement, but nothing for World Tag League yet? Both tournaments start on the same night in Aichi on November fifteenth, so I find it unusual. We only know one side of the participants for the show." Do you think it's because they're doing an angle at Power Struggle on Saturday, such as the Good Brothers, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, returning? Which, uh, that's definitely a possibility. 
Right. Uh, and Anderson and Gals did lose in that uh, Impact Tag Title four-way match at Bound for Glory, so they have no titles for Impact. They can go into that World Tag League if they want. They could shoot an angle there, or maybe they were just holding off. They want to do the, the announcement at Power Struggle. I heard this man call Anderson stay losing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, those are all possibilities. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, m- my honest, natural inclination of wondering why they didn't make announcements, if I'm just being honest, because it's the tag league. Right. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're still putting the field together. <laughs> I, that is literally what I thought. I thought, like, I don't know. They probably don't even know who's in it yet, like, because it doesn't really matter. You know? Right. That's what I actually thought. I, I wasn't thinking, like, you know, the good brothers are coming in. They're trying to I, – I didn't think anything about Angle. Like, there's nothing – I can't remember any – I don't think any Angles really have come out of – out of the last three years. We've watched the whole Tag League. Nothing comes out of it. Nothing. <laughs> like, the most compelling storyline that has ever come out of World Tag League, and it didn't even get paid off. Chucky T. Was crazy Chucky T. <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, that man's having, you know. Five-star street fights. Street fights, yeah. That's what I was trying to remember. So, um, I, hey, if, it, if that's what it is, that'd be great. Yeah. I think Power Struggle is going to be a very heavy angle show. It well, needs to be. Yeah. Because, like you mentioned, there's no other really heavyweight tour until we get back to Road to Tokyo Dome towards the end of December. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be heavy. It's, a lot of angles, probably a lot of promos, lots of setting stuff up. So I think we'll get, you know, either some kind of tag league angle or just a tag league video in between intermission kind of thing. One other thing, and I'll just throw this out there. Um, in the years past, tag league kind of was an important tour in the sense that there were angles for the Tokyo Dome that were set up uh, off of that tour. The last three years, they kind of pulled Anyone that, like, was in any sort of major feud, especially, like, champions and title holders, things like that, because it didn't make sense for them to be on the, you know, the World Tag League, considering the fact that, like, for instance, Kenny Omega, as the G1 winner, is definitely not going to challenge with Chase Owens (laughs) (laughs) for the tag titles, because he's going to be fighting Okada, you know, with two Dome Knights. It is totally possible that Naito and Suzuki and whoever else, all these champions, they get thrown back into it because in kayfabe, the reasoning could be, yeah, they could challenge on the uh, on the opposite night. Right. The other thing, too, if it is only a 10-team block, that's a lot smaller than the other tournaments that we've gotten over the last three years. So they actually could like have some pretty big names in there to set up some of these needed angles for the Tokyo Dome because, like Jeremy said, there's not a lot of time and we need some angles, you know, to kind of push some of these stories forward. Not all of them, but some of them. Definitely. I also had a question here from Kevin from D.C. He says, in kayfabe, we've already talked about how it would not have been for the best had Hiromu entered best super junior as one half of the junior tag team champions. As covered previously, champions typically do not do as well when entering tournaments as compared to non-belt holders. With that said, does Hiromu stand out as a favorite, or do you see New Japan going with someone else to win Best of Super Juniors? 
Could this be Shoshir? Will they strap the rocket to Master Wato? Could Doki main <laughs> event both nights at the Tokyo Dome along with New Year's Dash to boot? It's just that kind of year. <laughs> I, uh, he says, just been that kind of year. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, okay. We're Like Jeremy said, we're going to do a whole preview later. And well, I gave you my four favorites. Um, I think Hiromu, just from a box office, bottom dollar standpoint, yeah, he makes the most sense. Like, he just does. One name I will present to you, I don't think he's going to win. But my Wato. gut. Nah. <laughs> I would love for them to push Robbie Eagles. Yeah. There's well, also there's also the possibility, because it's a single block tournament, that they could do one of their famous triple threat slash four oh ways. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Based off of the outcome of the tournament, you know, if if Ishimori's out here dropping two or three losses, or let's say he drops two losses and then one other guy who he beat wins the block, they might just be like, you know, I get a tile shot. What about us two? We beat that man. Right. All right. Four ways. Four ways. Yeah, that could possibly happen. Another guy, definitely, I think you mentioned earlier too, Desperado. Um, last year, I think he was set to have a great best Super Juniors. Also, he had the broken jaw, missed the tournament. Um, so this could be, you know, a highlight tournament for him. But I see him as like the Sonata. Like he could definitely get to a final. He's not winning the shit. That's my opinion. Yeah. Like I don't see him winning a Super Junior, especially he's one half of the Junior Tag Champs right now. Well, yeah, but he's Desperado. He's an upper mid card junior. Yeah, like unless they're trying to elevate him, they're not. the The elevation would be getting to the finals of a super junior. Getting to the finals of a super junior would be like a huge fucking elevation for the guy. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. he's never won a title. You know, I mean, like I'm not crazy here. Like it's Desperado. I like Desperado a lot, but he's not winning the super juniors. Even though I threw him out there because you kind of need to just to be respectful. Realistically, he's not winning it. Yeah, but that's, just, that's what I think. Just with the kind of with him and Hiromu, they've kind of been at each other, and they've kind of been kind of two of the focuses of the division. He's definitely a guy that could at least go to the finals. For sure, I think that will be the final. I think that makes. I mean, in a lazy, easy booking Super Junior, you do Hiromu and Desperado. They have a great match. Desperado loses. Down the line, that's his elevation. And then maybe we're talking, you know, the next year about him being a, a real contender, you know. Or maybe mm-hmm. you even have him beat Hiromu next year for the title, you know, at Sakura Genesis or some shit. You could do that. Yeah, I'd be down for that. So the next thing we're going to talk about here, along with Best Super Juniors, we've got the announcement for the return of the Super J-Cup 2020 Making its return on December 12th. This will be a one-day live special event tournament on NJPW World. And in the spirit of Super J Cup, we have multiple promotions involved here. So the participants are as followed. We have the great TJP, ACH, Leo Rush, Chris Bay from Impact, Ray Horace from Ring of Honor, Blake Christian from Game Changer Wrestling, Clark Connors representing the LA Dojo, and then last year's winner, El Fantasmo, the headbanger, of course, representing the Bullet Club. Very interesting um, 
field of competitors that you have here. I'm assuming single elimination tournament, right? Yeah, single elimination, a one-day tournament. Is this going to air as part of Strong, or is this different? No, this is airing on a Saturday, December 12th. This will be a live event, uh, standalone from Strong Live, single-day tournament. Okay. Um, It's just interesting, you know, you've got guys who are definitely appearing has Leo Rush been appearing on Strong? No, he has not. This will be his first New Japan appearance. Okay. So, ACH and TJP are the two that are mainly making appearances uh, along with, I, you know, along with Blake Christian. Um, but realistically, out of this whole field, the only two true New Japan guys are Clark Connors and El Phantasmo. Correct. Um. And there's, what, eight guys? Yes. So you got six that are, you know, either freelancers or indie guys. I mean, that's that's very different from the J-Cup that we got last year that was almost completely comprised of... It was pretty much all New Japan, New Japan, guy, Japan yeah. guys. <laughs> um, and this is a lot of, you know, people that, that uh, we would have, like, hoped to have maybe seen overseas for... Super juniors, so maybe because of the travel restrictions and stuff, some of these guys they would have liked to have been included, but they couldn't. So this is kind of like the compromise, I'm right. guessing. In a way, maybe like this is like the second block in a way over here. <laughs> you know, I did. I I was in the shower today and I thought, well, what if the winner of this tournament and the winner of that tournament end up fighting? Is that a possibility? Like on one night, you have two: the J Cup winner and the best super junior. W- Winner face off and the winner faces Taiji the next night. Especially if it's Phantasmo. That would make a lot of sense. Especially if it's Hiromu and felt El Phantasmo. And then you have Ishimori as the champion. I mean, I'm just spitballing here. I'm not saying they're going to do this, but I mean, realistically, the big match in the junior division that's never happened that you can actually draw off of right now, that's, like, a big deal, would be El Fantasmo and Hiromu. That's, like, the one protected match in the whole division right now. It's never happened. You could get that match and also have a little play on the Bull Club Civil War storyline. Mm-hmm. Hiromu redemption angle. I wouldn't be surprised if Fantasmo wins this. They say he's the back-to-back winner, first time ever, and then he goes overseas and he fights Hiromu. Right, and we're, when we're looking at names that kind of pop out, yeah, his name definitely pops out, you know. In recent years, you know, definitely, it seems like the contracted guys kind of win these kind of tournaments when, when you have a lot of outsiders in it. And so I have a hard time seeing, you know, a Chris Bay, a Ray Horace, like Christian winning this thing. You know, Clark Connors is still a young boy. Uh, I, I have a hard time seeing him win this thing. Uh, Yeah, and you're absolutely right. It really depends on what they're trying to do with the winner long term. If it's just a nice little tournament and it doesn't really mean too much going forward, then sure, they could open it up to anybody. If the idea is to maybe build a new star that is not yet established, someone that they maybe plan to sign or have future hopes on, like an ACH, like a Leo Rush or something like that, sure, they could go that way. But I think the safe bet is they just go with El Phantasmo. Right. That's that's like New Japan style. It's just what they kind of do. Right. And, you know, we had this whole theme this year of, like, double titles and people winning, going to tournament finals back-to-back. And so 
that kind of fits in with the theme of having Phantasma win back-to-back J-Cups. I mean, yeah, bro. Think about um, Ibushi just did it. But even in the tag leagues, like, LIJ went several years back-to-back. Rapungi 3K and Junior Tag League. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's even, um, it feels like he's never won it, but, like, Oh, Okada almost like repeated. Sonata almost did. Like, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think the real big talking points here are Chris Bay is probably the biggest name that people probably didn't expect. I know I didn't, and the fact that he's primarily involved with Impact, um, you know, and there's the whole deal where in the past Impact and New Japan personnel have been like persona non grata with one another. Right. And, you know, potentially maybe, you know, Don Callis being over there, maybe that could help a little bit with him commentating for New Japan and kind of running Impact now. Um, but, yeah, definitely seems like, you know, kind of surprising to have an Impact person here. Well, I mean, technically they already have one in TJP and That's, have for a while. Right. Um, You know, I, I mean, I remember a few years ago when Ishimori was in the Bullet That's Club right. He, he was, was doing stuff on Impact, yeah. Still doing stuff with them. He worked Slammiversary and things like that. So I personally, I don't even know that this even means any. I don't know how open or closed or restrictive those impact contracts even are. I mean, it doesn't mean that they're working just because Chris Bay is like a contracted worker there. It doesn't mean that they're working with impact. You know, this might that might have nothing to do with one another. Then again, we've seen that they've been willing to include talent from all over you know, the U.S. and the Indies on these strong shows. So, I mean, I'm not too surprised by this at all. Yeah. Well, we got a bunch of questions about the Super J Cup. Let's dive Holy into that. Holy crap. I didn't even realize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, first from Rambo and Slam Pig is with the news of the Super J Cup returning in a different format this year. One night tournament live on NJPW World. Do you think the powers uh, that be at New Japan took the concerns and complaints about last year to heart? The field looks good. It should be interesting. Is it surprising that the Forbidden Door to Impact opened before AEW? I don't know um, how much this is like a response to complaints about the prior year. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. It feels like, I don't know. It feels like they don't know what they're, honestly, if you want my honest opinion, it just feels like most of the time they don't know what they're doing with New Japan of America. And so they just do tournaments because they don't know what's next. Right. <laughs> So, we're doing Super Jacob. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't feel like there's so much an answer to last year because I think the biggest complaint last year was just like the production of the show and the marketing, marketing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they're doing some marketing here, but uh, I don't even know if fans will be there. Probably won't be. We probably won't be fans, and so I don't think anybody was complaining about it being a multi-day tournament. It was just well, people did complain about the fact. I think what he's mentioning is we've got a device. A, a, a diverse group of talent from different places. Right, and, that is the one thing, yeah. And we didn't have that, and people complained, and now they're kind of, like, making up for it. Yeah. Also, no Amazing Red. That's right. Sort of hoping we'd get him in this. Right, Red hasn't wrestled since, I don't think, since January. No. So. Um, Yeah, man. So, is it surprising the Forbidden Door to Impact opened before AEW? Well, let's be clear. The Forbidden Door to AEW has, quote-unquote, been open for a long-ass time. Well, we had 
New Japan strong star Dane Limelight wrestled on AEW Dark yeah. last week. So the door yeah. the door's open to me. Door's open, B. <laughs> <laughs> um, next question from Dirty Bubble. He uh, uh, he asked, will there be a jacket defense for the Golden Super J jacket at Wrestle Kingdom? And with the field of best Super Juniors announced, does anyone know where Tiger Mask is hiding? He is hiding in the same place that Renderita is hiding. <laughs> 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 um yeah, I last year um El Fantasma won this and they gave him that golden jacket and he was sporting that for a while and we haven't seen it in a while. I think that man should come out with that jacket every night or during this tournament. During this tournament every <laughs> match, yeah, and wear that shit. I'm sure he's probably at least going to go to the finals. Yeah, and that man, he'll if he wins, he'll be so obnoxious to wear two gold jackets. Bro, two jackets. <laughs> double double jacket. ELP two jackets. <laughs> <laughs> Double gold jacket. Yeah. Uh, Next question here from just a little bear zero one. I know you hate fantasy booking, but I will make this one simple. If you could swap one guy from the Super J Cup into the best of Super Juniors field, who would you pick and who would they replace? Great question. I actually really like that question quite a bit. Do you want to go first? Uh, Let's see here. I I can go first. So if I was going to put one guy into the super junior field, um, I think I would go, I would pick Leo Rush, and I would swap out Leo Rush for Kanemaru. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. That's interesting. Why? Well, Leo Rush, that would be just a fresh face in that New Japan Junior Division. I would love Leo Rush and Hiromu, Leo Rush and Sho, Leo Rush and Hiromu, Leo Rush and Eagles. There's a lot of great fresh matchups. Leo Rush and Taiji Ishimori. All right, well, you don't got to sell me on Leo Rush. <laughs> Why are you bringing Kanemaru over to the Super Juniors or to Jacob? Well, I just figured I like the matchups with Leo Rush of all the other guys there and bringing Kanemaru over. He's a guy who you can, he can have a, a very good match in the opening round and be eliminated. And you don't really mess up the rest of the field here. Okay. All right. Like you can do kind of Maru and like ACH, your first round matchup. They can have a, a, a close to three and a half star match. ACH wins and you go on with your day. I like the idea of bringing Leo Rush over. Um, I do. I, I, I think he'll do better in this single night tournament. Um, given the, the, Group of talent that he has to work with stylistically, but uh, yeah, I get that idea. <sighs> this is a tough one. You know, some people are not gonna like this answer, but I'm just trying to think of like what's an exciting thing I could do. So, all booking aside, because it's fantasy, I say fuck it. Let's switch Hiromu Takahashi with wow. ELP. Wow. <laughs> Put ELP in this shit. Okay. Leave him with Super Juniors. You know, he can. he's never won it. Let's bring Hiromu over. Let's see Hiromu work with this group of boys and uh, see how that shit goes. Yeah, Super J Cup under his belt. Yeah. Why not? It's not real. <laughs> Just like wrestling. Hey, hey, hey. Oh. <laughs> calm, calm down, okay, sir. Okay, fame. Uh, next. Oh, I, my my comment on Reddit got five upvotes, six upvotes. This is crazy. What you comment on? Someone was asking uh, 
if LIJ would be considered a heel stable. So I gave them the breakdown of what the stables actually are. Mm. Uh, so uh, next question here from EMJ does PR says, is Chris Bay opening the real forbidden door? <laughs> and an early prediction for Jacob winner. Uh, yeah, we already talked about that, but that's funny. <laughs> I, I think ELP is winning. Yeah, ELP. It makes that, that looks, on paper looks like the most sense to me. I mean, they could they could push wh- whoever though. Realistically, yeah. I guess it depends on what they plan to do long term. I wouldn't be surprised if like ACH won. That would be cool. Um. Next question from Topher Lamb. He said. Who surprised you the most out of the Super J Cup entries? For me, it was Chris Bay, mainly because they have highlighted that he's from Impact, and I thought that there's no relationship there because of Okada Gate. And he does bring up a great point. Yes, like I mentioned, we don't really know the situation, but the fact that they have highlighted... Right, they threw that logo on there. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because they've got Ray Horace, who is working in ROH, and they, they've kind of highlighted that he's from ROH, and then they've highlighted that Blake Christian's from GCW, which is kind of weird, too, because Blake Christian's been working strong. Right. It's not like this is his first time. Yeah, so it's it's interesting, but um, I like it. Um, it's also with TJP, ACH, and Leo Rush, what do they just have them as, as freelancers? Yeah, they, they didn't put any logos up for those so guys. So they, they, they haven't put up, like, a line mark for anybody, really. No. Huh. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think for everybody, uh, Blake, or I'm sorry, Chris Bay is the most surprising one. Yeah, I, I did not see that. Com- I mean, I didn't see another Jacob coming, but then I definitely wouldn't have a picture that Chris Bay, of all people, would have been in it. And but, he's great. Yeah, he's awesome. I think um, someone that many people maybe are not counting as being, like, Someone who's going to really impress. I think Ray Horace is Dude, awesome. Yes, I love Ray Horace. I don't know why this guy doesn't get as much buzz as your Ray Horace is fucking realies your you know your banditos. Like Ray Horace is raw as hell. We've seen him um, live before, and uh, we see him plenty of his matches on Ring of Honor, other words. And Bro, I've been watching him since Lucha Underground. For yeah, years. Lucha Underground. Yeah, dude, Ray Horace is awesome, and. I hope this is a kind of a spotlight. I would love to see more Ray Horace in New Japan. Leo Rush is also another surprising one, too. So Yeah, and he's been kind of freelancing. He's, he's done some GCW shows. He was at the Collective. But I thought he wrestled his retirement match, quote-unquote. No, he's, he said he was back. He started <laughs> taking bookings again. So. No, no, I know, but remember he was doing his final <laughs> the, show? Yeah, the final hour or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, Dom Homie 101 asked, Thoughts on the lineups of the best Super Juniors in Super J Cup? In your opinion, which lineup is better? What matches are you guys looking forward to uh, in the Super Juniors? Any predictions for both tournaments? Also, thoughts on possibility that the winner of the Super J Cup winner could get a title shot in the second night of Wrestle Kingdom 15. It's a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in one question. Um, well, let's break it down. Which which lineup do you think is better? I like the J Cup lineup better. I also like the J Cup better. A lot, of, better. A lot of purists are not going to like that answer. Um, there's definitely talent in the, uh, super juniors, but the bottom line is, is the majority of the talent there has been booked for years as middle, upper middle or lower. There's, I mean, I can't remember the last time the majority of the people in this tournament even got a title shot for the IWGP title. So just from a purely kayfabe perspective, it's hard for me to 
get excited. There's very little star power, even though it's a talented group. Um, on the Super J Cup side, it's some of the best workers. ACH is the best unsigned talent in the whole world right now. Um, there's just a lot more intrigue. There's a lot more excitement. The one, as far as lineup, it's a better lineup. As far as how the tournament will play out, I can't say. It probably the Super Juniors is going to be better, but that's because it's round robin. Right, it's a single day, single elimination tournament. Those those rarely deliver on the same level as a, a round robin tournament does. Especially you're having guys wrestle multiple times in the night. The finalists would have wrestled what two or three times in the same night. Yeah. Um, the next thing he asked us, uh, what match are you guys looking forward to in the Super Junior? So let's just throw out one big match that you're excited for. Uh, Hiromu Robbie Eagles. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially with, I got to agree with you, um, especially considering the earlier part of the year where they were starting to tease a Robbie Eagles Hiromu match that we never really got. Right. Um, for me, um, I'll just throw out, I mean, I think Desperado and Hiromu is like the one that people want to see, and I'm kind of there with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, he asked about predictions for both tournaments. We already kind of said ELP for Super J Cup. We'll hold off on our final prediction for Best of Super Junior for next week. Hiromu B. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, thoughts on the Super J Cup winner getting a shot on one of the nights at the Dome. That makes sense. I think that that's a great way you could go. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of ways you could go, honestly. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Do you guys think that we'll ever see a Super J Cup on the level of the J Cup from 94 95? Maybe. Probably not. It's a special time. Right. It's kind of hard to kind of recapture that magic. Um, I mean, this one, this one has some incredible talent. There's no crowd, so it's hard to say. But if they give them enough time... And those guys really work their asses off. Who knows? This might be a special... This could really be a special tournament. It could be, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Thoughts on the Forbidden Door being reopened between New Japan and Impact? <laughs> People are really preoccupied with this Impact thing. Uh, yeah. Hey, if it, if it opens, it opens. You know, um, we do have a podcast here on the network, the 8-Bit uh, bit Suplex, hosted by Sandy and uh, Josh, and they do incredible coverage of Impact Wrestling. Yeah, so if you are big Impact fans, if you want to see that Forbidden Door open, you should for open the Forbidden Podcast door <laughs> and listen to 8-Bit Suplex with Josh Number 2 and Sandy. A Blue 3 asked, who do you think are the most likely winners of Super Juniors and Super J Cup? I think we've kind of yeah. covered all that. Let's go to the news. Yep, so in other news, uh, it came out that New Japan is setting a 20,000 capacity limit for both nights of Wrestle Kingdom 15. What are your thoughts about that? Um, yeah, it makes sense. Um, Super J Cast has been kind of projecting that they'd heard that for a few episodes now, so it's not something that's completely been out of the zeitgeist, but it's just recently been confirmed as of last week, so... Um, I mean, they're trying the best they can. I think that's part of the reason why they're doing two nights is, you know, I think they will sell out both nights. We're going back to the early, you know, to the mid 2010s, <laughs> 20,000 capacity. But uh, I think that's great as long as they can do it safely, responsibly. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're essentially getting 
the same revenue for two nights of the Tokyo Dome as they would have gotten for one night. Right. But double the cost. So they're going to make less money still, but this is the best that they could probably do given the circumstances. Right. And we have a question here from Dom Homie 101. What are the changes we see a Wrestle Kingdom USA version in 2021 via NJPW Strong? I think it's highly unlikely. That, I mean, they're, they're working out of that dopey, uh, you know. TV studio. It's a, it's, a, it's a warehouse. Yeah. Can you imagine? Welcome to the road to U.S. Tokyo. Road to <laughs> <laughs> re, re, Wrestle Kingdom in America. Wrestle Strong. King, strong Kingdom. We're headlining with Clark Connors versus Carl Fredericks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Wrestle Dynasty is what they, they plan on kind of being, you know, the U.S. equivalent to a Wrestle Kingdom level show. And also they they postponed it a year. Uh, we'll see what COVID's looking like come next August. But I think Wrestle Dynasty will be the NJPW of America kind of big sort of Wrestle Kingdom show. You know what they should do? Because they, they have the IWGP United States Heavyweight Champion and they can't get that title over here. They need some sort of belt so they could do the never open weight United States Heavyweight Championship. Is there any, anything more abysmal sounding than that? <laughs> oh, man. It'll be a red, white, and blue strap. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it'll have Trump hair. <laughs> Uh, and other news on the plate. <laughs> and other news, New Japan ended up profitable for the 2019-2020 fiscal year that ends on July 31st with roughly $2 million in profits. The company was on the verge of setting its record in January after the two successful Tokyo Dome shows. The company operated in the red from when it shut down events in February and likely still is given the huge declines in live attendance by uh, playing at 30 to 40% capacity. Also, we had um, some stuff from Takami Obari, who's t- finally taken over officially as a president of New Japan. He did some media, and uh, some said he made a misstep because he was very critical of Harold May, who certainly had his uh, detractors within the wrestling and the office, but was popular with the New Japan fan base. In an interview with Tokyo Sports, Obari said that May was very skilled in fan services, dealing with fans that described him like a setter in volleyball, Obari, when he was younger, was a high-level uh, volleyball player. And so the job of the setter is to make the rest of the team look good. And he said that he wanted to be seen like a stagehand, a guy that the public doesn't know about or talk about, and the spotlight should be on the in-ring talent. No, false. Your job is to have a pre-show video package where you're in your apartment and – the CEO calls you, and then you jump into action. You're in the shower. You, you hop out. You dry <laughs> off. And then you run down the fucking, you know. Dominion ramp. Dominion ramp. <laughs> like you're the ultimate warrior circa WrestleMania six. <laughs> yeah, so clearly I guess we're, we're not getting any Obari, you know, run-ins here. Listen, all I know is when Kenny Omega was here, that's when we had Harold May. <laughs> Now we got Obari. We don't got Kenny Omega. It's time to make New Japan great again. <laughs> I put my if if I had voted, I would have voted for Harold May, but they didn't give me that option. Yeah, they didn't give you the right to, fa- to fascist to uh you know smack down your vote for <laughs> for Uncle Harold. <laughs> um, a- a- any thoughts on Obari? Kind of throw some shade at Harold here. 
I'm I'm all for it, bro. I, I love feuds. <laughs> Wait, this is an angle. Harold May is going to come back. We're going to have two brands. And Harold May will be the general manager of one brand. And Obari will be the general manager of bro, the other brand. There will be a draft. Bro, we already had that. We already literally had two presidents with two different brands on two different continents. What are you talking about? That was, that was a shoot, brother. I'm saying we're going we're to have two brands in Japan. I get it. There's going to be two shows. New Japan Yellow and New Japan Blue. Yeah, there's going to be drafts. There's going to be superstar shakeups. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're doing two nights at the Tokyo Dome. Right. First night's for yellow. Second night's for blue. <laughs> uh, That's stupid. So uh, we have some a uh, few other just kind of off-topic questions here, and then the recommended match of the week. Uh, so first from Rambo and Slam Pig, he says, if you had to pick between one and three NJPW matches to introduce casual slash newer wrestling fans to the modern NJPW product, which ones would you pick and why? Well, I think my answers are going to start adjusting because my two favorite matches to suggest for this involve competitors that are just not here anymore you know so the two i used to pick was um ricochet and osprey from super juniors and then omega abushi from the g1 but you know you can't do that anymore so i mean what would what would you pick nowadays modern style uh i think i would definitely show them shingo osprey from last year's best of super junior finals I don't know if that's as good of an entry mark for new fans, to be honest with you. When, when I'm look, here's my thing. When I'm looking for something, I look for something that is so easily accessible for the non-fan to engage with. And, and maybe that is. Maybe that one is. But that one feels almost too epic. Does that make sense? Yeah. Too, a little too much. Right. I look for something that has a little bit of everything and maybe maybe that's a good one. I don't know. I I don't think I would pick that one. But I'm not sure what I'd pick from modern times. I think I would definitely find an Ishii match to show. If if they are keen on the violence, some people are not keen on the violence. Right. I think that's a key thing too. It, it kind of depends like what they're back because they're completely new new wrestling fans. Have they had any experience with wrestling? Have they watched like WWE? Or Impact or Ring of Honor, like what's their kind of? If if I was gonna show someone who is really keen on the violence and they just never seen anything, I would show them like one of the Ibushi Ishii matches from the past right, couple like years. If, if a UFC fan, maybe, and they're like, you know, really strong hitting kind of thing. Or like the lapsed wrestling fan, like they watched it years ago and they just can't get into like the new stuff. Maybe show them that. But for something that's like technically dazzling, you know. Maybe Hiromu and Osprey is not a bad place to to take him because that one is just really incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, from I, which which Hiromu Osprey from the most recent one from, from the Tokyo Dome. Dome. Yeah. I like to people. I like to show people big show matches with big atmospheres, uh, just to kind of give them a vibe. That's something that they're more accustomed to if they've seen WWE or AEW. Um, and I like to show them something that. Is flippy do, but also has good striking. Something that kind of just has a little bit of everything, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. 
that's kind of why I liked to pick Ibushi and Omega. Because that match... It was like a mix. You had the striking, you had the flips. It had everything. The story, yeah. It had everything. And that was a good entry point. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think most, like, from a modern standpoint, that's one I would pick is Osprey and Hiromu. Two big stars, big stage, great match, easy story. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Hiromu Ryuli. Maybe. Possibly. I don't know if I'd pick that one, but yeah, maybe. Uh, next question here from Highest Fly Flow. What are your thoughts on Kevin Kelly's Destino call? I saw a lot of people on the Reddit criticize it, but I don't think it's as bad as they make it out to be. Yeah, fuck people who don't like that Destino <laughs> call. What the fuck? <laughs> you, Destino! Bro it's, bro, it's incredible. It's just like soccer, like... I bet I bet those people want to build a wall or some shit. Keep out keep out all us Mexicans. I don't know. I don't, I don't like soccer. You don't like the the world sport. You don't like Kevin Kelly, the voice of a generation. My God, the voice of New Japan. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, know. I don't get it. I love it. I like it. yeah. It definitely adds to the move and just to the moment. And bro, as as fucking mid as Naito's been over the past years. He needs something to spruce that, that, That's up. been a highlight. That's a highlight. <laughs> Why y'all hate me? <laughs> Fuck out of here. FOH season. <laughs> Next question from Reddit user Viking Pain. Um, Non-New Japan related question, but I'm pretty sure you guys have seen that viral clip of the guy jumping off the turnbuckle and snapping both of his legs in half. And I was wondering, since young boy is trained to be a wrestler, did he do something wrong or was it a complete freak accident? Oh, man. <laughs> All right, yeah, uh, give us your worker knowledge here. So, I don't want to say anything too. Obviously, this was a terrible incident that resulted in a horrendous injury. And the guy in question might be facing, I was hearing at one point it was double, but then now it sounds like maybe only a single amputation. Single father of one, I think I've been seeing uh, some of those reports no in health insurance, over 200K in medical bills. When I saw that clip and I thought about myself, my stomach dropped. I was, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, bro. It made me nervous. But, like, here's one thing I will say, and this is just my own personal antidote. Um, I don't do stuff like that yet. I, I do do, like, some dive rolls and flip bumps and things that are – somewhat risky but i'm doing them in very safe controlled environments with strength and training and spotting and everything like that um but the one time i did go up top for a high risk thing during a training class um every like it was late at class and we pulled out a uh what a crash pad Mm -hmm. We have an awesome crash pad. Like the the crash pad that we use at the side dojo is the same official one that they use for AEW. So it's like it's high end. It's like it's awesome. And um, I've never done anything high risk. So like I was like I was like Matt, what can I do? And he's like, get on the second rope and uh, you could do like a dive. <laughs> or no, I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, a splash. I, like a splash. <laughs> and I was all right, cool. I was like, I'm gonna do a splash. No big deal. I've done splashes. Bro, I got up on the second rope. It is so fucking scary. It is so <laughs> high up there. 
And like for you guys that don't know, I'm a big guy. Like I'm not like huge in wrestling terms, but I'm like almost six three. On, on the Florida Indies, you're huge. <laughs> on the Florida Indies, I'm. They call me Big Man, bro. You know how weird. I'm not even. I don't even see myself as that big. And like I'll be, I'll be training with guys and like Big Man, get over here. <laughs> And it's funny too because I trained with uh, Rob Terry, the freak, the genetic freak, and that's that's a big man. <laughs> this is the biggest man I ever saw in my life, yeah. bro. But um, so I can only imagine like what coming off the second rope for real feels like. But here's some problems I saw in that video. Number one, and I hate to criticize because th- again, this was horrendous. But these were problems. Number one, I don't know if you saw the, the weight of the wrestler in question. Severely overweight. This this was not a genetic specimen or someone that you would imagine coming off of a top rope in any sort of circumstance except in a backyard wrestling environment, which is what this was. Um, so that's your first thing. The second thing, his legs were tiny. So like the weight to leg ratio... Like, something was bound to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing, too, I think there was a problem with him turning, you know? It's like if you're not, I don't know, trained or, you know, have strong legs and your upper body is so big like that and you're not only are you, like, jumping off the ropes, but you're also turning. I mean, that's added torque. I mean, these are physics. Right. <laughs> um Maybe there could be other things at play that we don't know about, like bone, you know, uh, density, deficiencies, things like that. I don't know. Um, Another thing, it looked like his legs were locked, like Mm. just straight locked. Like, you know, usually when you come off of when when you when there's impact, I mean, you need to have that force go somewhere. And if if your legs are locked, it's going to jolt up in your legs. I think that might have been part of it. But well, the one thing I haven't seen anybody talk about is how shitty that ring looked. Yeah, it it looked like like a cheap like backyard wrestling ring. Like. Bro, that ring looked. It, I mean, I've I've never been in a really nice ring. I've only been in a training ring that is probably we we're gonna be upgrading our ring because it's not up to snuff. Even still, like this one was like barely off the ground. There was no padding whatsoever. It was just boards, um, and that. I don't know. It didn't make a lot of sound. It that looked to me, personally speaking, like it was a stiff ass fucking ring. Yeah. And part of the deal is like the reason why there's um you know, a canvas and a mat over the ring is so that when the boards disperse weight, it the force of it can go into the pad itself, you know? Like that motion has to have somewhere to go. But if um if you just have a bunch of boards packed tightly next to each other on, on pieces of metal like that, I don't know, man. It just seems like the whole thing was a recipe for, for disaster. And, dude, no one reacted. The guy broke his – no one was watching because he broke his legs and, like, he fell over and you didn't hear – you hear, like, one person, I think it hurt his legs. Right. And the referee's watching. The referee doesn't do shit. His, no cell. <laughs> nobody did anything. There was, like, three people in the ring, the guy in question in, included, and no one else, like – from the outside, I don't even know if there was anyone in the audience, what I'm saying. Right. Like, I don't know what this was. Uh, mud show. It, it, was, it was a mud show. And the one funny thing is, I, the, to me, when I look at this guy, I just say, backyarder, you know? Right. 
every because he got hurt so bad and no one wants to be like derogatory and I'm not trying to be derogatory I'm just telling the truth every single website that is talking about it do you know what they're labeling him as no amateur wrestler because no one wants to no one wants to say he's a pro wrestler because he's clearly not professional right but no one wants to be like this shitty Backyard wrestler <laughs> broke his leg because that sounds disrespectful. So, bro, they're calling him a fucking amateur wrestler. That ain't no amateur wrestler. <laughs> I've never seen that, it. That man ain't no shooter. Bro, I've never seen an amateur wrestler. <laughs> so, anyways, that's that's my two cents. I mean, I I I want to. You know, I thought about asking my trainer, but here's the thing: I didn't even dare bring it up in class because I don't want to put that. Like you said, put that energy in there. Right. You're like, y'all see that dude broke his leg? <laughs> <laughs> and then today we're practicing jumping off the top rope. Bro, because we do really dangerous things every day in class, and you just never know. I mean, we're very safe. I haven't seen anyone get hurt. I've never been hurt, but any you just never know. So I don't want to be the guy being like, y'all see that dude break both of his fucking legs? Like, nah. <laughs> uh, one last thing. There is a GoFundMe page. To help this guy, uh, his sister put it out there. I, I don't have the official leak, but you can find it online very easily. So if you'd like to help him with his medical bills, that would be a good thing. And uh, last set of questions here from Redizer Dom Homie 101. Uh, he says, any predictions for the lineup for Tag League? I don't know. I mean, Dangerous Techers. Yeah, Dangerous Techers, probably, I'm hoping we get G.O.D. And, and Finn Juice. Those are like... Well, there was a post of uh, Tangaloa um, saying that he was in a, a new place for two weeks. Um, something like that on his Instagram story. So I'm assuming G.O.D.'s in Japan, quarantining. G.O.D., Finn Juice, ZSJ, uh, or Dangerous Techers. Maybe. Some kind of chaos of either Hashi and Goto or Ishii and Goto. I have a feeling Golden Ace is not going to be teaming up. If if they are both in the uh, tag league, they're probably going to have different partners, I bet. Mm. Those are my predictions. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, we'll probably get Tenkozy. Uh, Tenkozy. That's the other one I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, you know. Uh, You'll I'm probably gonna... get those four guaranteed. Yeah. And then there'll be some other kind of random... Probably Bullet Club. Who's in Bullet Club that they can kind of throw in there? Chasing somebody. Who's ch- chasing Ujiro? No, they don't usually do jobber teams like that. They usually have one big name and one jobber. Yeah. So it'll be like... Yeah, one big name, Chase. Chase is not the big name. <laughs> Chase is a pin eater and Ujiro's a pin eater. I know. <laughs> uh, That's it. I, 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 yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. He did have a non-wrestling question. What are young boys' thoughts on the Davis versus Cruz fight? What's next for both fighters? Thoughts on Davis fighting on pay-per-view? Could Tank Davis be the next big star in boxing? Um, you know, I didn't watch the Gervonta Davis uh, Cruz fight, but I did see the knockout. Um, I just I haven't been as plugged into boxing as I have been in years past. I love it. But Gervonta Davis is incredible. I would le- I would really like to see him fight. I mean, the fight everyone wants to see is him and um, Lomachenko. Obviously, Lomachenko just dropped the, the title to uh, Teofimo Lopez. So there's something to work out there. But there's some other guys in the division. Um, Haney's one. Um, a couple other guys. I mean, lightweight's a stacked division. So... 
for Cruz, incredible champion. He's never been stopped like this. This was probably the knockout of the year. It was devastating for him, but also I don't know that he belongs at lightweight. He might have been biting off a little bit too much. It does show that Davis is like the real deal, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, yeah, I think Gervonta Davis could totally be a pay-per-view star, but he needs the right... I mean, this was a great fight for him and a great performance. This is a career-best performance, but um, he needs the right guy, and I think long-term, I think Lomachenko might be that next guy for him. Nice. Well, now it's time to move on to the recommended match of the week. So last week, I recommended... From November 3rd, 1986, from Cork and Hall, Antonio Noki and Kevin Von Erich versus Kengo Kimura and Kijimoto. Very, very, very interesting match. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't have a lot of historical context to this match. I tried to look it up online as far as like insight from other people. I think it's a pretty like underwatched match. I don't think that many people have seen it. Um but, you know, the deal here, basically, Kijimuto, he's in his space lone wolf phase of his career. So it's 86. He's still, he hasn't even gone on an excursion yet, essentially. And they're doing everything in their power to really push him. U- usually he's like Inoki's, like, pin eater and, you know, his protege. But they find themselves on opposite ends here. And the the one, like, glaring, you know, this thing's not like the others is Kevin Von Erich. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the match is very, very interesting. Um, you know, it felt initially like the story here was going to be big star in Inoki and big star in Kingo Kimura with their two, you know, guys with them. And if this was traditional New Japan booking, you would expect Kijimuto to be the pin eater in a valiant effort, teaming with, you know, since he's kind of the young lion and you got two stars on the other side of things. It didn't really end up working out that way. This this match was very interesting in the sense that um, Inoki and Kimura, they played a brief role in the match, but really the story here ended up kind of just being about Kijimuto and his, like, I don't know, drive to, like, prove himself. And on the opposite end, you have, like, Kevin Von Erich, who's just so out of place he's wrestling this match like he's in the sportatorium on a friday night or like he's in memphis or some shit um i don't like kevin von eric as a wrestler i think he's a great guy per you know from what i understand but like i've never been a fan of his stuff some people love it but dude i mechanically i think he's a terrible wrestler i've always thought that <laughs> and not only that but he's stiffing the fuck out of everybody in this match he kind of seems lost I mean, in some sense, it's cool because he's, like, doing things um, that you wouldn't sort of expect, which when wrestling's unpredictable, I can always appreciate that. But, like, he doesn't know what's going on, so he's just fucking people up. Yeah. <laughs> like, pretty much. Definitely a couple of sloppy spots from him there. and Oh, there's there's a f- more than a couple of sloppy spots from him. But, like, it's fine. You know, he's just going to brawl. Um, but the, the, the gist of the story is at one point, um, Kevin Von Erich essentially puts the claw on Kijimuto and the crowd super into the claw. They're in Corkin and they fall to the outside and he takes uh, Muto's head and bashes it into the uh, into the metal um, turnbuckle. 
And if you've ever watched 80s New Japan, you pretty much know if you go into that turnbuckle and there's a bunch of young boys around you to kind of crowd you, that's a blade job happening like right then and there. He comes up, pops up, and there's blood everywhere. I mean, this was a gusher. There's a reason they call it the Mudo scale. <laughs> and um, Kevin Von Erich just keeps putting the claw on him. And you kind of think it's a baby face in peril spot. You kind of think like event, like Inoki and Kevin Von Erich are cutting him off. They're beating the shit out of him. You keep thinking he's going to get to Kengo Kimura. Uh, for the big, you know, hot tag. Instead, what ends up happening is Kevin Von Erich is being cocky. He's being an asshole. He's starting to kind of like be like a uh, kind of wrestle like a heel. He's not total heel, but he's being foreign dick. And then suddenly Kijimuto just rolls him up with a uh, freaking uh, small package. And it's one, two, three. And the match is over. <laughs> um, and then, you know, afterwards, Von Erich is pissed. He's kicking him and. They're fighting, and then uh, Kengo Kimura's trying to, like, be peacemaker, and Inoki's, like, trying to have a talk with Muto, and Muto's trying to show his fighting spirit, so they just keep going fighting each other, and then Von Erich doesn't know what the fuck's going on, so he's just stiffing everybody, and the post-match brawl's great. It, it's total 80s New Japan territory-style, like, brawling. They just fight everywhere, um, and that's it. That's the story. Um some of the early, like, actual chain wrestling is very high level and very, very good. This is, uh, this match in the early parts is very emblematic of, like, what Inoki strong style actually was like. But, uh, yeah, I like this match a lot. I, um, I heard the guys from Voices of Wrestling, like, really pimp this hard. I'm not as high on it as them. I think it's, like, a fun TV-esque quality tag match that's, like, really interesting and, and unique, but I don't think it's, like, a great match or anything. Yeah, it's not, like, this epic, you know... No, it's not, but it's it's awesome, and it's very fast-paced for the era, and very bloody, and very stiff, and uh, I would recommend it. I mean, why not? It's not that long, either. Um, yeah. It's a 20-minute video, and half, cool. half of it's a brawl. Yeah, great post-match brawl. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I thought this was a really cool recommend. I'd never seen it before. Um, you know me. I love Inoki. I'm all about right. Inoki all day. So, <laughs> fuck yeah. And, right. and and Muto was so, bro, with his chain wrestling, he was so slick when he was young. Dude, and it's so crazy seeing, like, the signature spots, like, even back then, that the elbow, the moonsault. Bro, he did that moonsault landed on his feet. Yeah. Yeah, he was awesome. So what is the recommended match for this week? I have what is heralded and lauded as one of the absolute greatest matches of the 1980s. You took me to the 80s. We're staying in the 80s. (laughs) And this one is completely different from this match. We have the all-monster brawl from 1981. Stan the Lariat Hansen versus Andre the Giant. You've never seen this match, right? I don't think I have. Okay, you would remember it because it's the best Andre match on tape anywhere. It's better than that Killer Khan match that I showed it's you. It's not a joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. In, mo- uh, in the, um, what's it called? Death Valley Driver video review, nineteen their 1980s poll for New Japan for their video project. This was the number two rated match out of, like, hundreds of 80s 
New Japan matches. It's it's one of my favorites. It's awesome. Nice. So that's recommended. It's match literally Godzilla versus fucking King Kong. It is. <laughs> it's a kaiju battle. Like it's it's Stan Hansen against Andre the Giant. Like it doesn't get better than that. And what was the date on that again? Uh, it's on New Japan World, but uh, I don't know. It's from 1981. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only matchup that of them on there. They uh, for that year there is one from 1971. Um, I can give you the date here. Let me. August 23rd, 1981. No. Sorry. September 23rd, 1981. Nice. Well, that's the recommended match of the week, guys. Go ahead and check that out on NJPW World. And, of course, we'll be back to talk about that next week. Also, next week, we'll be back to review Power Struggle and give you our uh, full preview of the Best of the Super Juniors and World Tag League. So if you enjoyed enjoy today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. Our network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash social suplex. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I am the pro black guy. Josh is Keeping a Strong Style. You can email me, Jeremy at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have Foundation Radio, so with Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have Grown Men Watch This Shit with Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Thursdays, we have the Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb Baldwin and Maserati. On Fridays, we have the 8-Bit Suplex Podcast with Josh Number 2 and Sandy. And on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Boyd and Austin. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Smackdown your vote. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.